This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Comic Book Click at tpublic.com. Visit tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click to get exclusive one-of-a-kind merchandise including shirts, stickers, and phone cases all designed by us. Get your hands on the latest and greatest in comic book merchandise by going to tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click. And remember, you, yes you, are worthy. out there in comic book land my name is george serrano aka the don and if you're listening to this you can only be here for one reason it's a brand new episode of the major issues podcast brought to you by comic book click and as always i am never alone sir please introduce yourself i am a concerned dan the comic book man dan the comic book man is concerned and i guess he should be because we are being rocked currently by a cinematic juggernaut that has chosen to uh keep our cities hostage in this uh, tornado of depression and violence. Ladies and gentlemen, we can only be talking about one film. We're talking about Joker. A and film. what a film it is. Yes, because this film here, you know, before we get into our spoiler-free and then spoiler talk as we are one to do with these kind of recap and review. Um, this movie is very interesting because prior to it even coming out, uh, there were two big vocal uh, minorities talking about what they thought this film was going to be. So the first was the group of people who were like, why is this film even happening? Right. I'm pretty sure you yeah, were in that I was, camp. No, I, was I was in that camp, was in that camp of why are we doing this? Yeah. Why is this even happening? Is uh, DC doing the same thing that Sony did, which was kind of take its eye off what the actual ball is just to try to make a, a, a edgy movie? You know, Sony goes on to make Venom, which makes hundreds of millions of dollars, proving that they were kind of right in, in deciding to. Yeah, but you adapt can stretch that it that Venom is even more of an anti hero to hero in some aspects, oh, more than the Joker. Yes. Yeah, way yeah. more. But we had heard also that um, Fox was thinking about doing a Doctor Doom movie. Um, and so a lot of people were just questioning in general. What's the utility of a of a villain led superhero movie? What is the uh, latent effects of romanticizing a villain? You know, like it, would a villain movie make a villain its own hero in in that case and justify all those things? Which then leads well, the to score the, thinks so, right? Which then leads to the next bit of of debate that took place once this film started to really ramp up, which was was the Joker um, with its very deep and dark and gritty, which I swear are the three adjectives they always use for this kind of film, right? Always. It's always deep, dark, dark and gritty. gritty. Yeah. As if they're um, not all the same thing. Yes, yes. So, um, people started to wonder, with its tough subject matter, uh, dealing with mental illness and what brings somebody to violence, seemingly a, a, a harmless person to violence, would it create copycats? Would it... Um, embolden those who were on the fence about <laughs> about killing people. I think only a, one of the mo- like a, one of the few movies that inspired the Joker really only had one famous copycat. Yes. Other than that, a lot of movies that followed this same like mentally deprived storyline of just a character roaming around just like 
mentally unhinged and not the hero at all. Yeah. But we still cheer and root for him and want him to win. Like we haven't really gotten copycats of, you know, King of Comedy or, or American Psycho or, and stuff. Or um, Silence of the Lambs or, you know, like. Yeah, no, no. In fact, like stuff like Silence of the Lambs was inspired by already real killers. So. Right. right. Um, and maybe if that this movie was the case, it would all have been hand washed away because we look at stuff like my friend Dahmer, right? We look at stuff like um that oh um uh I think it's like evil uh, yeah. extremely twist extremely wicked or something yeah. like that some uh, Zach Zach yeah, Efron like, movie it's like extremely twisted and definitely evil or something like that the the whole um, Ted Bundy. Um, well, that's the problem. Is we have a way of romanticizing serial killers. Not really in a sense that we think that they're right and that they can't do no wrong. It's more like what was going through their mind, like a psychological aspect. I don't know what it they, is about it, humans. They're, they're, they're a zebra or a unicorn to us in a sense that we'd, we would never put together the logic or the means to want to murder a bunch of people. Hopefully, the most part. For the most part, yeah. people don't think about that kind of stuff. So they are entranced with the idea of what does it take for somebody to to make that leap for somebody to to jump to that conclusion there. Uh I guess before we start talk about the film overall, what did you feel about the backlash and um do you see where it's warranted at all? Prior well, to going in, I figured it was just more just like a overly overthinking just nonsense like, you know, like nonsense. I thought it was nonsense. Yeah. Going after watching this movie, like I guess I can see in a sense if Taxi Driver copycat was a real thing, I can see someone doing that. I mean, someone walked into the Dark Knight Rises dressed as Joker yeah. shooting up and that's the, the theater, whole thing. So. Like, I feel like with the Aurora situation, which was very, uh, you know, um, it was it was very tragic. Like, it's very tragic, but also very high, highly publicized. And so you start having a discussion. You bring up Aurora. Somebody's like, well, Aurora was just a, you know, one off. And then you bring up that they dressed up like the Joker. And they're like, well, he only dyed his hair. And it becomes like this weird straw man argument where we keep moving the piece along. Yeah, you along. keep pushing the goalpost, basically. <laughs> we keep moving the piece along and to the point that you're not even arguing over what you want to argue about. Um, yes, there was a uh, a shooting that took place in the Aurora Theater in Colorado. Um, the, the movie that was being shown was not The Dark Knight. It was actually Dark Knight Rises because to be inspired by the Joker, you would have to have, have already seen the Joker in Dark Knight. So, yeah, yeah people get that. People get that um, detail messed up as well. Uh, but they, it did happen. And we are living in a society now where we shrug off these mass shootings, these mass killings, these lone right, these lone wolf activists that we hear about all the time, regardless of race, creed, color, or religion. It's happening. The the citizens are not happy, or at least the mentally unstable ones are not happy, and they're putting um, their fate in their own hands, and that usually costs a lot of a lot of lives. So. How could you responsibly tell a story about that kind of person without uh, it being a love letter to those kind of people? I, I think was the main concern. And I think overall, um, you know, being spoiler free, I don't think that Arthur Fleck, the, the titular character in this film, is gl- glorified or is shown to be no, glamorous or correct. Um, you may understand his point of view, but I don't think you ever take his point of view. Um, there's, there's the human ability to have compassion. And I think that this movie was made ultimately 
you know, one side to be a cautionary tale, but the other side of it to me feels like it's supposed to be telling us to be nicer to each other. <laughs> you know, like that's the <laughs> broader scope of this is that you don't know who's in their home doing what. You don't know who's dealing with what. You don't know um, just because of the superficial differences that we have, whether it's race, you know, religion, um, most likely money, <laughs> like that doesn't give us reasons to um, downplay one another or not treat each other like human beings. And I think that um, that's the best lesson to come away from this learning. None of the lessons that Arthur is trying to teach, but the lesson that we probably wouldn't have gotten here if people would have been a little bit more tactical in how they handled other people. that Not just shoving them in boxes. Oh, you're crazy. So you're just crazy. And that's it. There's nothing we can do for you. That was you're crazy. This, this country's, this society's problems, just like, you know, we, we shy away from the crazy. We just bat an eye to them. Like. But they have to deal with it. You know, um, to go off on a tangent, when I first came back from overseas and I was going through MoMA out, out processing, I had told them that I, I couldn't sleep. I was always on edge, like always ready in case something happened because that was a very helpful skill to have when you're in the military. Uh, back here, it serves you nothing. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, I, I, you know, I just can't sleep. Oh, well, what do, what do you want us to give you? And I was like, what do you mean? What do, you, what do I want you to give me? I want to sleep again. Like, and I don't necessarily want pills to sleep again. Like, is there a way to, like, mediate this? Like, can we talk yeah, about yeah, it? Like, basically. what is, but they were already jumping to medication. And I hear that that's what they do oftentimes with veterans, which then makes me feel like they don't treat the situation that the veteran is going through. They treat the veteran because the veteran is the disease that society is going through. So we quiet the crazy people because it makes us feel better. But we never figure out how to make the crazy people feel better. Because it's not worth their time. Yeah, it's not. It's like, oh, I've he's just... I've been in psychological hospitals. I've seen how it looks. that They literally just feed you pills, keep you in your room, and just... You stay there. Yeah. You stay there till you feel better. Till they no one wants to be you bothered. Feel they, yeah. cannot, they cannot understand, and they don't want to be bothered to um, try to change their point of view. And I think we see that with Arthur um, in this. Um, I guess coming from there, let's talk. Let's give a little bit, I guess, of a spoiler free review. Um, Dan the Comment Man, how did you feel? About oh, it's a masterpiece. Joke? It's a masterpiece. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, as, as, a, as a movie guy, as I, it would be remiss for me not to go into this movie and just point out all of the, like, the cinematography in this. Yeah. The lighting, the, the, the score choicing, like, the acting, the directing. Like, Joaquin Phoenix works his ass to the grindstone in this movie. I, yeah, I can does. tell you, I, as a movie fan, without a shadow of a doubt, there is not one Joaquin Phoenix role that he phones it in. Right. Never once. It doesn't matter how small, how quirky, how method he has to go. He gives his all every time. And Todd Phillips, I've been watching Todd Phillips movies since Road Trip in 2000. Since I was like seven. Uh, Todd yeah, Phillips did is... you get the Ethan Chase reference? Um, I... So Justin Theroux in that movie. Um, when they're doing the... Uh... This is like a bit of a spoiler, but it literally has nothing to do with anything. I didn't even notice Justin Thoreau. It has nothing to do. First of all, I think Justin Thoreau is the new random cameo guy because he did the same thing in Star Wars. He was the uh, yeah, he was in Star Wars. He I was remember. that guy, but the, he did nothing. 
Um, and so in this, I believe I, I'm almost 100 percent sure it's Justin Theroux. You know, I know my Kevin Garvey. Yeah. But um, Joker's watching a episode of of the Murray Franklin show, and he's practicing his walk out and walk through. And that was down. Justin Theroux. I and did so tell us. Yeah. Theroux walks on stage and they're like uh, everyone just you know fresh off his his newest movie. Here's Ethan Chase, and I've only ever heard that move, that name once, which was in Due Date, Day. <laughs> with Zach. That was the name of Zach. Ethan Chase sounds actors. like a real name. Ethan Tremblay makes no <laughs> yes. goddamn sense. Yes. Like God, yes. bro, yes. Todd Phillips, and he gave us old school. He gave us the Hangover trilogy. Yes. So I was Frank uh, Tank. <laughs> when I found out, when I actually found out Todd before I watched the the trailer, when I found out Todd Phillips was attached to the project, that was what immediately made me say, okay, maybe I should give this a chance. Yeah, and then it was the second trailer that they dropped. I'm like, all right, I had a tear in my eye. I'm like, this might be good, but no. At the end of this movie, I gave it a standing ovation. Yeah, weren't you like trailer agnostic? Like, weren't you like not trying to watch trailer? I was trying not because I just did. I there was I felt that there was no way that they could sell me on it besides Joaquin Phoenix. Like, I was a bit in that camp. I know that me and you have had several conversations off air where I was like, I don't want a bunch of losers. To yeah, worship the Joker. And and what was it the the not the night that because you watched it Thursday, I watched it Friday. Yeah. So Saturday when we hung out, all we did was watch audience reactions, and we were just just boggled at everybody yeah. like yeah. clapping and <laughs> cheering at the Joker. Yeah. Literally being on top of a cop car, making a blood smile. It's like he's he's always been charismatic. He's always proven to give to to be so enigmatic that he he just garners a lot of attention. Uh, we also spoke about the Joker, for the most part, has given DC more awards than any other character, oh including my, yeah. Batman. Yeah. Um, and so he's a proven commodity. That's a proven IP right there. Well, I also feel like Joker. it's the way he's on, not in the comics, because in the comics, you have a, you, you don't have an FCC. So you can do what you want. You've showed me Joker panels of yeah, messed yeah. up Christmas Joker panels. He's done some, yeah, he's done some jobs. So if you look at There's the Joker. where he, he, uh, there's a lady holding a baby. No, that's the one. Yeah, and, that's oh, yeah, the one I'm talking about. It was baby. on Christmas. Yeah, he throws the baby at the lady, and when she grabs it, he shoots her and the baby. Like it's just jacked up stuff like that. And so, and when you I, see it on TV, it's the... more like child friendly. It's not you don't you get the the evil. You know he you know he's a bad guy. You know he must be stopped and he must be punished and he's crazy. But you don't really see like to a full extent Joker's murderous rampage. And I also I feel. And as an adult now, right, as an, and as an adult who has to do adult things, I feel like Joker, for the most part, that character, that mentality is a phase. You have to stay, you have to keep yourself it's a, there. It's a, it, you're talking about a 30-year phase right Yeah, now. that's what I'm saying. You have 89, to keep yourself there. Like Batman 89, Jack right. Nicholson. Well, I'm talking about like, yeah. Even longer, Cesar general, Romero. Yeah, in general, the fictional character of the Joker wouldn't last in long in, in reality for a long time because he wouldn't have the um the fuel you understand no Life we, we've had this exact forever. no we've had this conversation about the joker before about yeah. like you know like the joker can't shouldn't exist for too long because it's like then what does he do like yeah um, where you go from there he you know unless things are going to be as shitty as 80s new york forever he doesn't have a trumpet to 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 think. He doesn't have a a big speech to give to the crowd as to why he you know you should be believing in him and stuff. And um, it it comes more from that eye rolly meme thing. You know when memes get so crazy that they just start putting minions on there and it doesn't yeah. have anything to do with what's going on. But you know you know the one you know the one that you've seen a half a million times. 
when I was a kid, I thought Batman was cool and he was right. But as I grow up, I find out that Joker makes more sense. I feel like there should be a asterisk after that and go. And when I got even older, <laughs> I realized that I was a little edge lord when I was twenty. No, and my favorite one that I hate the most was um. Uh, I had to go. Oh um, why should I apologize for what I've become? No one, no one apologized for making me this way. And it's the picture of the Heath Ledger Joker and like yeah. this black backdrop. And I'm like, oh my god, I see it. Everybody it's a posts lot of violins, it. Every- Everyone has their own little violin that they're, that they're playing. Yeah, and yeah. I don't mean to trivialize people's lives. I'm not. I'm not trying no, to say that life doesn't not. get hard. It's just hard. why look up to a murderous psychopath as your. Who ex- gave up on life? He gave up on life. He has no. Absolutely no determination to live a full life. Batman loses. Uh, Bruce Wayne loses his parents. He becomes Batman. Joker lost his wife and kid. He, uh, whatever his name was, lost his wife and kid. He becomes Joker. Like you see the two different parallels of of what loss does to those kinds of people. But one becomes Bruce, a hero. Yeah, one with, becomes a villain. Bruce uses that, and I've said this. This is my favorite little thing that I've made up to work with my own logic. But my logic is that the difference between a villain and a hero is how you respond to trauma. And yeah, so every, because everybody deals with trauma. Literally everyone, good, bad, or indifferent, will deal with trauma. And how you react to that trauma um, you know, dictates who you are as a person. Because if I had a bad day today and I chose to take that bad day out on you and the listeners... I'm a villain because I don't have to do that. I've now take something. I'm now taking something that happened to me, and I'm imposing it on somebody else because I feel like it wasn't fair to me. So everyone else has to deal with it, and that's wrong. I'm actually more of a hero if I had a bad day today and I pushed it to the side to still produce quality content. And Batman still has to go to work. His parents are dead. Dead. They're never coming back. But he still has a nine to five. And after <laughs> five o'clock, he has to put on the suit and go fight crime. So now he he gained another life. He's living two lives, and Joker's living none. You understand? And so I want people to understand that. But this film does p- p- uh, paint a sympathetic portrait of mental. All right. So let me ask you this question. Let Let's say this movie wasn't called. Joker. Yeah. Let's say this movie had nothing to do with Joker. Like, look, keep the whole makeup design and everything, but it had nothing to do with Joker. It was just literally a modern day taxi driver. Like, would it be more of an acceptable movie? Like, would it be more of a movie that you can find? Like, yeah, I can, I, I can wonder... sit through and watch this. I can, I can like this. I can cheer this character on. I can sympathize more because I know it's not the Joker. So when you know it's the Joker, there's still that voice in the back of your mind. Like, I can't sympathize with him. I can't. And, you know, give him that triumphant moment. But if this was a character that wasn't the Joker, I probably also could cheer him on in that triumphant moment. So, I, well, I'm going to I'm gonna leave my answers to spoilers because I, 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 there's a plot point that I think changes depending on whether or not he's the Joker. Um, but I will say that I think this film is immensely different if it's not the Joker. Um, I think it's actually better because it is because you can consider this entire world fictional. But if this was the real New York and that was a real mentally ill man, um, I think it it might say some very dangerous things. I've I heard... think that would be the what what people should be more worried about if this wasn't a Joker movie. Yeah. Like if this was a regular normal taxi driver, but in modern day, just yeah. an actual mentally insane what man. If this walking... movie was called Aurora. What if this movie was called Columbine? What if this movie was called uh, literally Sam? Sam oh Bernardino? oh yeah, well, what else? Uh, uh, what's that place? Do this all day. Yeah. Pulse. Oh no, you can't do this. All. That's terrible. You no. Know, uh, and and that's what I'm saying. Like, if it was called Pulse, if the movie ended with somebody going into a nightclub, like, what what do we do there? And so, I think there's a responsibility in filmmaking 
to make it a point to send say what your message is or whatever. And I, I know a lot of this film has been left up into interpretation. My only slight against the director is I feel like he threw a match in a room full of gasoline and walked away. <laughs> and so every time somebody's like, but that fire over there, he's like, there's fires everywhere. What are, are we really going to sit here and talk about fires? <laughs> and so it's well, like, he's really going at the woke quote unquote woke is, culture. It's he, like he's he blaming PC culture for the reason why he left comedy movies. But he has to understand. And I, I that's all subjective as well. Cause I think comedy subjective. There's still crazy. Comedies. Oh no. I've seen some pretty like offensive fact, comedies made me, by women too. Me and you on a daily basis talk office community or parks and rec on a daily basis besides the office, which I felt did it initially because that's what the tone of the UK one was. I don't consider any of those shows mean-spirited. No. And so when people were like, oh, you can't even tell a joke. I'm like, I feel like you just want to say the mean ones. I feel like you just yeah. want to <laughs> yeah. go, go out That's there and, and be mean. Because Parks and Rex is, is legit wholesome comedy. And it's hilarious. And it's funny. So funny. It's and even Sunny, funny. even It's Always Sunny manages to get to the real dark and gritty subject matter. But the joke is on the main cast. They're too dumb. That's why they that was that's the whole point. The like they're so narcissistic, they're the they don't see that they're the bad guys. Yeah. They're not the heroes telling the joke and telling it how it is. We're laughing at their ability to be ignorant. Wow, how could you be so dumb when it comes to Time's Up, or how could you be so dumb when it comes to the PC? Wait, we it was his father. Be... I didn't get it. Yeah, we just but you didn't get it the PC whole movie? culture. Yeah, where it's like yeah, half of this to blame is PC culture, but the other half of the reason why movies are PG thirteen is because you keep you you adults keep pirating movies, stop <laughs> going to movies, and stop seeing movies. So we have so, to market it to 13-year-olds now because yeah. they're the only ones actually going. Because kids really do go to the movies more than adults. And more adults are pirating things every day or, you are, or you know, fire sticks. Well, and that's what happens when their kids start teaching them how to use the internet. That's, <laughs> that's all it is. And so, yeah, I feel like I feel like Todd is being a little cavalier and just, you know, taking his steps back and going, it is what, what you see. But I don't blame him. I blame him a little bit. Not completely. Uh, because I do feel like this is a hotbed topic now, and he doesn't want to have his words misconstrued. Nowadays, everything is about clickbait. Everything is about uh, headlines, and so some you say one thing, and it yeah, once you told me that, it's not like up. you click on the site and they automatically get that percentage for. Yeah. for I'm like, what? No, what? The they Damn! Get, they get cents on the dollar. I for used to get every website. Click. I used to get, I think, a quarter for every thousand views or something like that. It's it, with the writers get paid lower, the site owner gets paid brilliantly, and then you can. Give those stats to a uh, a company and say, "Hey, my site gets this many views a week. Pay us to put one of your ads up. Do you want Casper mattresses to be seen by ten thousand people a week? Because our site gets that. And so you put up all kinds of crazy things. You'll be like, um, um, they'd be like, um, so you, you, this is a different version of the Joker, right, Joaquin? And Joaquin would be like, yeah, it's just you know, I guess like on an alternate Earth or whatever." And then uh, someone would be like, wow, alternate Earth. So there's like an Earth where like there's a ostrich that's a Joker, huh? And he's like, yeah, I guess. And it'll be like, Joaquin Phoenix thinks the next Joker should be an ostrich. That would be the title of the article. And then you click on it and it'll be like, well, he didn't really say that. What actually happened? And it's like, that's why I can tell that, that Todd Phillips doesn't want to say anything. Because he's not even trying to open up, uh, you know, having his words twisted. But when you make a movie like this, you cannot fault people from, for wanting answers to the questions you pose there. A That's lot of true. people are feeling. I'm, we're a little bit more versed in cinema, but a lot of people are 
feeling this way, the way that this movie makes you feel for the very first well, can, time. I can only imagine how people felt in the 70s and 80s when when these kinds of movies were never driver. heard of. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine what the, what the podcast we would be having if the movie we were covering was Taxi Driver? Yeah, we... Um, We'd be having a much... A, 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 kind of the same conversation, but a much different kind of conversation. Yeah, this film mostly takes from Taxi Driver and um, King of Comedy. And for those of... not, and you know what? I, I was debating this. And now I never came up to an answer. So now I'm literally being debated live on air. But I want people to see this movie. I don't know what would what would suit them more. Seeing it after Joker or seeing it before Joker. I saw it before Joker. And to be honest... I don't think. Joker well, what do you want the them? What heights. do you want them to be appealed to more, King of Comedy or Joker? I guess I if want, you want them, them to be to appealed watch... to Joker more. So then they will have to watch it after. But King of Comedy should, should still be revered as the front. No, I think that, that would be that, that would be the point. It's like that's what I'm doing with Jasmine. Like while we were watching Joker, I kept pointing out, oh, this is this is where they got the inspiration for King of Comedy. This is where they got the inspiration for Taxi Driver. She's never seen those two movies. Yeah. So I'll be able to show her those two movies, and, I'll, and I feel like it'll be able to put those two movies in a more newer light. Like, they're, be, they're being mimicked and, like, imitated and inspired even today, 30 years later. Yeah. So I say let, the people should watch Joker first, and then go and watch the movies that inspired it, so you can see, like, these are controversial topics that were even being done before you were born. What I'm hearing in praise of the Joker is what I felt when I saw King of Comedy. Um, was this like, what? And I need to talk to somebody. And how yeah, do I, I watch it the day this? you told me to watch it? And I was and just like, I watched it. My roommate came in and saw me stunned watching it. And he was like, oh, you watched that? I wanted to watch it. And I was like, I'll watch it again. <laughs> here, yeah. I'll put it on again. And I did. And I put it right on again. And on occasion, when I'm not doing anything, I will just put it on. I I did that the other night. I was while I was playing Last of Us, and I was watching King of Comedy. I literally love King of Comedy. Um, and that movie was not made to have a point. It was. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily. We even got into over an argument of whether or not the ending actually happened. If right. he really got let out and all and that. And that's left for interpretation. And there's a little bit of that in this, but I don't feel it was as blatant to the point that I didn't even freaking get it. I didn't even <laughs> understand that I was supposed to interpret the Joker's ending as ambiguous. Um, and we'll get into that too. But I, my opinion on the film is that it's a, it's a great film after, after watching it more than once, I've got a, a bigger and a better appreciation for it. Um, I guess in knowing where the source comes from, it's like if you lived in like a fishing town and then you went to like red lobster, like you dig the food cause you like that kind of food, but it's not, well, you're well, used it's to like, it. Yeah, it's like you yeah. said the other day. You know, like, uh, you know, it. You, 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 can you dictate somebody what is steak when they say this is steak, but yeah. you've actually had steak? Right. Now let I, them enjoy their steak. You know, the the one I gave my girlfriend the uh, parallel was. It's like showing somebody like Justin Bieber, and Justin Bieber has a bunch of money and success and stuff like that. But it's also like showing somebody Michael Jackson. You know. Yeah. Um, that Michael Jackson's talent does not discredit Justin's. They're, two different people but to have michael's talent at the time that he had it when nobody else was doing it gives him more points than somebody doing it now and i feel that way about king of comedy in the same way with joker like literally king of comedy joker is king of comedy with joker me pay on <laughs> you understand? it's king See, of comedy i love taxi driver like i just i don't know i don't know what it is about taxi driver yeah. i just think it's just that robert de niro 
I like, feel look, like in Taxi Driver, you're also a little bit more in Travis's head, I guess, because of the diary entry. Entries. I mean, the, even the scene where no, when he's like when he's talking in the diary, right after the whole "you talking to me" scene, yeah, he's like saying, "I'm sick of the scums and the evilness and the pigs," and he just starts over, and you see his whole body shift back to the beginning frame, and he just, yeah, I'm sick of the lying and the evilness and the scum. I was like, "Yo, this," I don't, but I will say, I knew Taxi Driver as just like pop cultureness before I ever. Got a chance to actually see it, King of Comedy. I did. I only heard the name. I've never actually seen anything I only about heard it. Heard it in reference to Joker. I had never. It was not even on my radar until they were. So like, when I saw it, yeah. this was the. This is to me the best Robert Robert De Niro performance I've ever seen in my life. Like it's just relentless. It just. It's weird how well he plays. Um, oblivious. The mustache and the hair combo is just great. Um. And so I feel that the main the main difference between this and King of Comedy is my what my biggest problem with Joker is, and that's to say that this is my biggest problem with a movie that I love, which you know you can have that, um, which is that there was areas of gray with Rupert that I feel like they had to make either white or black with Joker. Yeah. Um, certain things you undoubtedly have to sympathize with him for. There's certain things you find out about his life, his upbringing, stuff like that. That you have. There's no point. Like you, why, why would you? As not opposed feel, to Rupert, you don't, you don't know, know his that, mother's upbringing, right. so you don't know what. It, so you're taking everything at face value. Yeah, basically. You know? And it's the same thing. Like when a shooting happens. When a shooting happens, you take it at face value. You don't go. Well, before we talk about all that, what was <laughs> how going did on with this, yeah, this kid? How, did he how feel? old was he? And you know, and what was where did he get the like? gun? And... and I feel like that is where this movie um, kind of falls flat, a little bit short, not flat. It falls a little bit short in its ability to not make a decision about how it how it feels about Arthur, and because it doesn't know how it feels about Arthur, we don't know how we're supposed to feel about Arthur. And we, a lot of people just feel the plain reading of it, which is he won. He's the hero. That's the most plain. You get an eight minute standing ovation at a film festival. You're the hero. Yeah. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. An eight minute standing ovation at a film festival. Tarantino's Quentin's and Glorious Bastards got booed out of a film festival. This movie got an eight minute standing ovation. Yeah. It's big stuff. Big stuff. There's uh, no justice in the world sometimes. But that's about as spoiler free as I want to get. Yeah, no, Anybody yeah, I want to. No, I want to get into the into spoiler this? territory. All right, cannonball. So, so spoiler alert. Woo, 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 woo. Um, that was the worst uh, alert sound ever. Yeah, we're here to talk about Joker. This is the spoiler filled part of the cast. So if you haven't seen the film, pause right now. Go watch it. Come back and hear us talk about all things Joker. But if you have, welcome and let's do this. I can't uh, believe they killed Robert De Niro like that. <laughs> I'm, coming I'm coming out the game with this one. Just in case anybody just didn't go. Wait, I should have went back. I should have went. Yep, that's, you should have went back. That's what you get. You should have went back. Uh, Joker is directed by Todd Phillips. It had a budget of, uh, I think it was like $67 million. I That's a wrong big, now. that's a big low, budget. Well, that's a low budget. $67 million. That's at 674 for some reason, but it's like, it's like 67.4. Oh, yeah, because I see the four. Oh, because oh, oh, there's no point. Oh, okay, yeah. 67.4. Okay, then yeah. that's, a, that's a pretty good budget. And I heard that that's one of the reasons why Warner Brothers greenlit this. At the time, with the losses from Justice League, etc., they were not down to greenlight a $100,000, I mean $100 million 
Probably. So they're like, oh, it's 65 million? Go ahead, you That's have fine. that. Do whatever you want. <laughs> Literally, I wipe my ass want. with 64 million, basically. Yeah, and um, in a week or weekend, that has nearly uh, quadrupled to 258 million worldwide, breaking records for October releases, October uh, Friday uh, releases. Literally breaking records. Can you and it's believe that release. Joker's opening weekend is beating most superheroes' opening weekends? Yeah. Most superhero movies opening run, whole like runs. Said, an X-Men movie came out this year, and this film has almost made its entire gross in a week. That's that's just it. And it's jo- guys, it's Joker. That's all I want to say. I, I, other than that, I love this movie. It's just, it's Joker. <laughs> I remember the early stages of this because or- originally Warner Brothers wanted Mike Martin Scorsese to make this film with Leo DiCaprio as Arthur and Robert De Niro playing Murray Franklin. However, in the end, this proved to be logistically impossible because DiCaprio had already signed on to do a little movie called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Which I've seen in theaters, and I'm glad he kept on for that. I don't know, man. What do you what would you what do you think about Leo DiCaprio as Arthur Fleck? It would be a whole different kind of mental stability. Like for 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 Joaquin Phoenix's Arthur Fleck, I feel like it, he looks crazy like he yeah, just Leo probably wouldn't have done the body transformation right? no and, and not only that I feel like it, it would have been more of like a like a yeah, he would have seemed more like a gangster like a like a just a a mean guy like a dick yeah I feel like Leo's Joker would have came off like just a douchebag right um yeah so Leo had already signed up for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Quentin Tarantino and Scorsese had already started to work on The Irishman and Which so, was filmed in my old job at a time I was I was working in my job when they were filming, awesome. but they were filming during the like, like they would close out the school because it was during the summer. Yeah, they were they were filming during the day. I would get there at fucking four thirty five o'clock, and they would already be packing. And lo- I see like the trailers and everything driving away when I pull up to work. I'm like, yeah, I, I missed it. You're like Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so yeah. So Scorsese was working on the Irishman, so he couldn't do it, and then DiCaprio was working on. Uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, so he couldn't do it. Um, however, De Niro had already film finished filming his scenes inside of The Irishman, which comes out this year, and so he was good f- to, to do Joker. And they gave it to director Todd Phillips, which you like you said, he's mostly known for the Hangover films. And when it comes to and comedy, it's all comedy that's a thing. Comedy uh, has to do with anticipation and tension. Has to do with um, thinking that you know what the person who's watching is going to think happens next and subverting that. That's what comedy's all about. You know what else? What other genre is all about that? Horror. Horror is all about tension and subjecting uh, people or, you know, changing what people's anticipation is going to be. And so I don't find it uh, unbelievable that Dodd Phillips was able to tackle some of the more horrifying elements of this. And there's a lot of dark comedy stuff in this too that I'm oh, sure definitely. we'll get to when we get definitely. there. Definitely. Um, but a little bit about Todd Phillips. He was born in 1970s in New York City. Does that make some sense? <laughs> and so he wanted to invoke the look and feel of his childhood memories in the city when he was making this film. Although the film is set in the fictional Gotham City, there are many parallels between Gotham and New York, uh, like unemployment, crime, and even the subway vigilante oh, shootings. Oh, that's great. New York's known for crime, unemployment, and subway vigilante. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They the did sub- have an actual, yeah, they had subway, an actual subway in vigilante. 1984, Bernhardt Go- Goats. Uh, you know, uh, committed some subway murders, but supposedly was defending himself, and people actually started to be like, "Yeah, that's good. Maybe people need to start defending them." And so, you know, this film takes a lot from that. 
New York set films that were an influence on the visual style and aesthetic include The French Connection. You can tell by the chasing of the cars and the cop. Yeah, wow. I could see the cop angle, French Connection. Death Wish. I can uh, see that. Death Wish and Warriors, I feel like, are in the same vein of, of like trains in New York and the gr- It's gun- also more of the, of the, like, the vigilanteism. Really, yeah. like like um, Death Wish was about a guy that was going not after people no that killed shit. his daughter. Yeah, not taking no more shit. Because they're like the warriors. More. Yeah, the train that that train set that they had, like all the the writing, the graffiti and stuff, perfect. Yeah. Um, and uh, King of Comedy, Robert De Niro, who plays the role of Murray Franklin in this film, was the star of Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. Todd Phillips and Scott Silver found the most common Joker origin story in which the Joker is uh, disfigured after falling into a vat of chemicals too unrealistic, Dan. So instead, they used certain elements of the Joker's lore to produce an original story, which Phillips wanted to feel as authentic as possible. And I think it works. Yeah, and, you know, Joker doesn't have a definitive origin story. In a tone like this, in this kind of realm... I think the best thing that they could have done was made Joker, like, legit and actual, like, give him, like, a Tourette sort of a sort. Yeah. And people were already bugging out because early on we were told this film was going to be rated R. We barely knew what this film was about before we were told that it was rated R. And um, it's also the first theatrical DC Comics film to be rated R since Watchmen, which we also covered on this cast. Go back and listen to one of the most early episodes of the Major Issues podcast of me and Dan, the comic McMahon, talk about some Watchmen. Uh, And so it's the 10-year anniversary of Watchmen. 10-year anniversary of R-rated DC comic movies. Um, when asked about violence in R-rated films, Todd Phillips said, violence in the movie was always meant to be a slow burn. People assume and think that we're going to be, it's going to be a really violent movie. It affects you differently. You could watch something like John Wick and there's so much higher amount of violence. We try to paint it with as realistic a brush as possible so when it comes, it feels like a punch in the stomach. But it's all a balancing act of tone. And in a deliberate attempt to keep the budget down, there's almost no CGI also uncharacteristic of a comic book film, right? Like, this is all basically well, already, practical. After seeing this again, I've already, like, convinced myself this isn't a comic book movie. Yes. This tr- truly, truly, it isn't a comic. I've seen comic book movies that you wouldn't even think were actual adapted from comic books. And I even, mean, History and even, of Violence doesn't feel like a comic book But movie. even then, like, once you find out that it is adapted from a graphic novel, you start to think, well, that kind of makes sense. You know, a guy that has, like, like, unnaturally gifted abilities with a gun, like, stuff like that. But this, just straight off the bat, the tone of it, Gave me no comic book vibes. A lot of the criticisms are that um, this film would have been better without the comic book ties. How do you feel about that? I think too. Yeah, I I, I think that what it does is it it makes me like I said earlier. I have that voice in the back of my head that just prevents me from loving the 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 idea of this movie because of it's called Joker. But because I watched it and I see like the passion that they really did put into the writing and directing and even acting, I can accept a movie like this, whether it's Joker or not. I guess I'm too I'm too in when it comes to like comics and stuff like that because I had no issues with the with the um comic book references in this film. As a matter of fact, they made what I would deem to be probably sillier scenes work. Um I don't think that the the scene that you saw from the trailers of uh Bruce and and Joker work as well if it's just the guy's kid that he's fucking with. Yeah, knowing where knowing where they well, where that they end it, up, that gives it that like 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 that fan base weight. Yeah, like as a as a fan, you're like, oh my god, that's Joker putting his fingers in the mouth of a young Bruce Wayne. Right, He's right. getting punched by Thomas Wayne. This is blowing my mind. This yeah. is wrinkling my brain. Yes, you know, like yes, exactly all that. And it doesn't take much. 
for a comic book fan. You know, all you need is a well, couple like ties. Well, like you said, you know, you'll take a win. You'll take a comic book win. And truly, as someone that loves comics, I would take a comic book win too. Yeah. And I would love to rub it in, in people's faces like, wow, I can't believe Joker won an Oscar of some sort. Like, Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that would be extremely interesting. But let's start talking about this film. The film opens up in 1981 where Arthur Fleck works as a clown for hire and lives with his mother, Penny Fleck, in Gotham City, which in this film is represented by 80s New York. The city's collapsing under unemployment, crime, super rats, Dan. All right? Not just rats, people. Super rats. Super rats. Trash. And I think that that was something else I think that was probably going no, on there in was King a, of Comedy. There, there, or well, also, oh, yeah, there was a, no, there was a lot of There was of tra- a big trash. Uh, there was a sanitation strike in strike. like 82 like yes. or 3 or something like that. Yeah, there was like yeah. a big sanitation strike. So yeah, King of Comedy and Taxi Driver had a lot of garbage bags everywhere. It's It's also, you know... It sets a tone, right? When your trash is literally in the same place where people walk, like we're all tra- like all of this is garbage. We're we're not on the top tier of the sky rise. We're all down well, here. Well, even when you dumpster. see Arthur's apartment, he when he gets stuck in the elevator with Zazzy Beats, it's like you know, like oh great, like, it's all we've trash. All, we've all been stuck in elevators before, like, and we've all been to shitty project buildings. <laughs> I think we've all been to some of the worst. We've all been shitty. to some of the worst of the shitty project buildings, the Douglas houses, all of them. They get pretty damn bad. Um, yeah, man, everyone's dealing with financial ruins, so you're leaving segments of the population disenfranchised and impoverished. We first meet Arthur as he sits in front of a mirror, alone, in this rent-a-clown facility, forcing his face into a large smile, then frown using his fingers. While one tear just, like, yeah. ruins his makeup. It's, like, brilliant. And what I love about this is we were introduced to Arthur, well, when you first see him, you see him from the back shot. Yes. And you see his face in the mirror. Yes. And then the next shot you see, it's, like... A side profile. Yeah. And then go straight into seeing his reflection in the mirror. You never truly see his first face until when you see it, like, camera in his face, he's forcing a smile. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, because, you know, this is a motif that continues on throughout the film is this idea that whenever life just has you down, you you have to smile. You have to smile through it. You have to put on a happy face even even though you're not happy. And so this is the first implication that this clown may not be as happy as he pretends well, to be. I think be. that is, like, the, the visual definition Language. of depression like like when you see a sad when, if you ever see a sad clown i think that's what they use for like depression yeah and it's also this idea of the you talk often about like the three faces that you we show the world right like the face you show the world uh, when you're on stage there's a face you show the world when you're off stage and there's the face you show yourself though and i think they were playing around with those ideas with us seeing the reflection of arthur we weren't seeing arthur we were seeing who arthur wants us to see Basically, which is this guy yeah. that's that's Happy go lucky and you know life's a breeze and um, I you know they they did a deep dive about that scene and uh, supposedly that tear was a hundred percent authentic like it wasn't supposed to happen it happened and they kept it in I believe that he was like like really like probably like stretching his face to make himself tear like he felt like the pain in his yeah. cheeks like we've all like pained ourselves to make ourselves tear so look authentic yeah um and also by doing the frown and the smile those are the typical um the laugh now cry later but also like when it comes to theater is tra- oh, tragedy, tragedy and comedy. comedy yeah which is a big motif in this as well uh which i thought was pretty cool um motif 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 and then you get the next shot of him like in um happy dancing Full with a smile makeup, bro we cut and, to arthur in his element b he's which wearing... is great because when you in- when you introduce the character he's forcing a smile and he's crying and he and when you get to see him in the next scene, he's happy. He's twirling a sign, and he looks actually legitimately like, happy. No, like, I think looks... in the movie he really does enjoy being a clown for hire. Yeah, 
Um, and so he's in his full element. He's wearing his clown garb. He's dancing around with a sign outside of a failing music store. Um, I heard notes from Todd Phillips where he said that one of the things he told Joaquin is that Arthur is the kind of person that has music inside of him. That's which is another motif throughout this film. And it's brilliantly done too. As he gets more confident, that music starts to pound more in his head to the point that he, he acts he starts like hearing he, Gary Glitter. Basically, yes. <laughs> and so um, this is our first in, in, interpretation or uh, our first inclining of that, of him having the music in him. But while Arthur is, in, is full in his act, dancing about, a bunch of street kids take his sign. And when he tries to retrieve it, is knocked over the head with it and beaten up in an alley. As he sits there, he presses the button on his flower, showing Arthur is always ready to still try to put a smile on. And uh, we get the title card, Joker. That was my. That's one of my favorite title cards in like movie history. Yeah, I take up the whole screen. It's so it it's so big and bold and out there, and that's what it's meant to be. Like your your Joker's meant to take up the entire screen, and the fact that the name Joker takes up the in the entire screen is just great. But what I love is that like low angle pull out shot where like camera is like truly to the ground. Yeah. And then it just pulls and then does the Joker title card. I like I love that title card. Um I the next scene I think is one of the best scenes because it's not rushed. And Oh, so you're not even wrong. In the next scene we see that Arthur is laughing uncontrollably and smoking I feel like a he cigarette. was crying but trying to like trying to cry but his body was just coming out of his laugh. So that so, it's it, it is it's exactly that. Because my he was interpretation of to it to the to the counselor about the jumping. Yeah. So I feel like he was crying about the jumping. Have you ever been tickled to the point of anger? Yes. That's what this is. Yeah. You're laughing because you're being tickled. You know, like you're you're la- but you're not happy. You're not happy. Yeah, it's you're just not involu- liking what's it's going an on. Involuntary it, laugh, and that's what's going on here. He's not happy, but he has this tick. And every time he tries to stop it, because what is coming out of his mouth does not reflect what's going on in his head, that clash physically hurts him. He starts, he literally chokes on this, on his laughter. He's constantly trying to put his hands over his mouth, his arm over his mouth, because this tick, and when he gets put to tears, that just shows me how much effort he's trying to stop laughing. It, it's that, it's being tickled and just, just stop! Like you're, I can't. And oh, he uh, he, he got to the point where he put his whole arm over his mouth and like you could just see the tears running down his face. The comedy club. Yeah. When he was just trying to get the poor joke out. Yeah. Like the don't and it I, I I every time he was crying he was laughing I felt like crying because it was just a it, it was a crushing scene. Yeah. It like hurt knowing that like they're using a real Tourette because that's something that can be taken Definitely. as a Tourette spectrum. You ever seen the, the Tourette comedian? Yes. It yes, takes, I have. Where it, he's like and, he does the and it takes and him a bit. To get a joke out, but he's working through like the stuttering one. It takes him. A I watch. I watched that guy, the stuttering. One. I found him on the. On it the, takes him a bit, but you. But you see what you see. Like it's not him choosing to repeat those words. It's literally involuntary. So when he's going, 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 he doesn't mean to do that. He in his head, he's moved past that word. Yeah. But his rest of his body's not cooperating, and so in Arthur's head, he's sitting and having a regular conversation with you, but he can't stop laughing and. That laughter often makes other people look at him less, and it sucks because it's involuntary. He can't stop himself. I mean, he even has cards to hand out. Yes, yes. Because uh, we learned that Arthur suffers from a neurological disorder that causes him to laugh at inopportune times. 
And he also regularly regularly visits a social services worker to obtain medication. We also learned that Arthur had just recently been released from Arkham State Hospital. Uh, and these meetings were to keep an eye on his progress in the real world. I'm not an animal! <laughs> I'm not an animal! <laughs> yeah, Dude, really good. That scene, that, that scene was actually the first time that I actually like danced with you. Damn. Yeah, that, because that in, in in homage to uh, Raging Bull, we see a quick shot of Arthur smashing his head against the the, the Dude, door. Fuck. Yeah, he was hitting it. Oh. He was hitting himself pretty damn hard. Um, and also, Chain smoking like a fool in this movie. He smokes a lot of cigarettes in this movie. And a yeah, lot like of every close every cuts. scene he's on, he's smoking. And a lot of close cuts of him smoking those cigarettes. Um. Yeah. In this visit, the social worker acts to look at his diary, which he's turned into a joke journal, but it's also filled with obscene material like naked women and talks of violence. I feel like that's like a, a nod to Taxi Driver in a sense that we never got to see Travis's journal. We only hear the like the narration and you only see him at the table writing in it, but we never actually get to see what he puts in it. Because a man that eats bread and whiskey for breakfast yeah. is definitely a man that has some sick shit in his diary. And also, we don't really get the perverse nature of Taxi Driver with that whole, you know, the porno theater. But he obviously has a skewed view on the human body, especially the female human body, because of the weird mutilated pictures that's, that's in there. So that adds another layer without having to do the whole homework of him going to a porno yeah, theater. Yeah, when Arthur and... pulled, like, the joke book out on stage and you, like, and you see, like, yeah, like a one of the pages had, like, a, no, it was a full-on naked girl like cut into like the page i was like yo yeah, wait it's like what yeah it's like, what is going for a, second. Like, a lot of this doing? film makes you feel awkward there's a lot of awkward and uncomfortable moments in this film but i think it's used brilliantly for the tension building yes i agree um arthur acts for an increase in medication but is denied because he's already taking several forms of medication seven to be exact yes jesus christ on the ride home he makes a face at a child and is accosted by his mother causing him in a panic to break out in his trademark laughter he gives a card explaining his condition to the mother and tries to stifle his laughter to no effect. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about this laughter because Joaquin Phoenix said um, that perfecting the laughter was the toughest part about playing the character. And I could imagine because there's a scene later on where he's by himself um, in the tidy whities I think, or whatever, and he's just laughing. There's nobody there. You're not doing that for anybody. You have to do that on a, on a, you know, on a cut, on an action. That's a hard thing to organically come out of you on action to the lengths that it goes with him. I don't know how the man did it. Um, he said he based his laugh on videos of people suffering from pathological laughter. No, yeah, the uh, film theory was yeah. doing the joke thing. I don't know what it's called, but there's a whole like science word for for people that like tick laughter. It's like I I couldn't imagine. Yeah, I honestly couldn't imagine. For the Joker's laugh, Todd Feller broke it down to three different types: the affliction laugh, the one of the guys. The one of the guys laugh and the authentic joy laugh. And I think you did hear all three of those in this film. Um, yeah, but it was – you hear them, but because it's not in the right tone, that's what makes it more, like, creepier and just more uncomfortable. And what's funny is that while the laugh has always been a staple of the Joker um, character, this is the first time they actually gave a reason behind it. Um, and yeah, this he's is always the, just laughed because he just laughed. Yeah, and this is the Joker that's the most tied to the comedy aspect of the the Joker motif, the, the the jokes, the laughing, the props, and we'll get to we'll get to all to that in a bit. Um, yeah, jo- Joaquin Phoenix explained that he wanted his spin on the character to be un undefinable by real world psychiatrists. After um, noting that he didn't consult past portrayals of the Joker, including Heath Ledger's, 
The attraction to this film and this character was what we were going to approach it with in our own way. So for me, I didn't refer to any past iterations of the character. It was just something that felt like it was our creation and in some ways. In some ways, and I think that that's what's really important for me and the key to it. Um, I do think that that laughter really does set an uncomfortable tone in this film. I really do like it. And we get to points later where there's a little bit of confidence in that laughter. But where we're at right now, it just seems to be painful. It just seems to you really hurt him. crazy is that once he became the Joker, the laughter stopped. Did you notice? He did it once, sitting with Murray. But, but I it's feel the like most it w- sinister. It's the most one of the most I sinister like he, ones. That was a, no, I felt like that was an on purpose laugh. It kind of could have been. That it, wasn't a tick laugh. Like it kind of could have been. All those laughters was in like uncomfortable situations. Like okay, the first laugh where he had the joke where he was with, talking with all of his coworkers. Yeah, I get that. But like where he's accosted by the mother, where he's like talking about being beaten up. Like the, the I always felt like he had the laugh because like. He didn't know how to handle the situation, and the nervousness exactly, took over. Yeah, exactly. But once he became the Joker, put the make the makeup on and the suit, he didn't laugh, no. like affliction laugh. No, he laughed once to be sinister. That's that's passion to, into filmmaking. I find that to be passion writing. Yeah, or at least character development. We we, we can see perfect where he character goes. development. This movie had perfect character development for Joker of all people. But I mean, I guess, I guess it's an easy character to develop. I guess. Yeah. We see Arthur's long walk home, which includes walking past dodgy neighborhoods and a walk up some very steep steps in the Bronx. Um, another thing is, uh, Todd Phillips said that Arthur's walk is a walk as if he's constantly wearing the clown shoes. Oh, you could see the like the the, yeah, the, 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 the weird the clownish walks, yeah. yeah like, and so you almost feel him to the side. You almost feel him weighted down by this. That's kind of funny because I always thought he was. I kind of thought he was wearing clown shoes the whole movie. No. I thought his shoes were just uh, like just yeah. big. I just thought yeah. he kept just wearing his big clown shoes. Like, um, we meet his mo- his mostly bedridden mother Penny, and she mentions continuously writing to Thomas Wayne and still not hearing anything back. But how Thomas will make a great mayor and really clean this city up. She calls Arthur by his nickname Happy, showing a close relationship between the two. When the Murray Franklin show comes on, they both get excited, and Arthur has a fantasy about being in Murray's audience and having the spotlight put right on him. This was the first time I like I whispered over to Jasmine. I was like, "This is from King of Comedy." This is yeah, from I was King of so, I was so like, "Yeah, I totally get this." <laughs> um, in the fantasy, the crowd laughs when he admits to living alone with his mother, and Murray defends him. I, I watched I've watched this movie three times now, and there's this weird defiance where he says like, "I take good care of my mother," and he like says it to make a point. And then some people, there's starting to be like a smattering of applause and, and respect. So I wonder if, he, if this is all his subconscious, I wonder if he feels silly for still living with his mom, for still think thinking that, for still thinking that he was put on this earth to bring joy to and laughter to the world. Because well, every time he brings it up, later, people laugh yeah. at him. Every every time he brings it up, people laugh in his face. And so in this dreamscape. Everyone's on his side, and even when everyone's not immediately on his side, Murray is, and Murray gets everybody on his side. Hey, hey, hey listen, uh, I'm the same way. You know, my dad walked out on me when I was a kid, and I've had to, you know, and he's like, you know, I take very good care of my mother, Murray. You know, he's doing all that stuff there. Um, he also, um, they also laugh when he admits that his he, his mother told him that he was born to spread joy and laughter. At this moment in the fantasy, Murray calls him down, embraces him, and tells him that he would give every ounce of fame he has just to have a kid like him. Which was, that was a little bit that was one too, Yeah, that was once you knew it was a fantasy. Yeah, basically. it was like, that was a little bit too much. You just picked this guy out of the crowd, and he's like, I would just give it all up for you, bro. 
Um, well, I mean, Jerry Langford was ready to like you know give up his whole show. Yes, yeah, six, six months. months. I don't know. Like I can't do it. I just can't do it. Hilarious. Um, back to reality, and back to the clown office. Arthur's co-worker Randall loads him a gun for protection, calling the kids that attacked him savages and advising him to protect himself. Unfortunately, the previous day's events have caught up to Arthur because his boss Hoyt calls him into the office and rips him in rips him a new one for losing the sign, refusing to believe that he was attacked. This broke my heart. This Yo, whole thing this broke really my heart. this pissed Jasmine got audibly pissed off. Yeah, she just started like she was like squeezing my leg, like she was just getting mad, like but he like but how can you not believe him? Because like, Arthur is really very. He is. He does speak very kindly to people, and he speaks very matter-of-factly. There's no malice in his voice or in his tone. And even said, "Why would I take a sign?" Like... Yeah, and he goes, "Why? Why does anyone do anything?" <laughs> and this is also one of my favorite parts of this film, honestly, because what ends up happening is, as he's talking, you know, as he's being chewed out, as we used to say in the military. Um, you can see that it takes everything in Arthur's power to smile through this tongue lash. This was that conversation. I know. I, I thought he had a, a two conversations no. with the owner because the next conversation he got fired. Phone. Yeah, it was on the phone. phone. This was the conversation where he's like, he has his hands crossed and he has like his. He smi- literally has this pain smile, and you can see like the tears slowly. Yeah. Um, the music is drowning out Hoyt, so we can so you can imagine that he's not even hearing Hoyt at that moment. He's so consumed. With the anger that you would think that I stole this sign and now I have to try to find a way to And it was already coming out of his pay. That was the worst part. coming out of my pay even though I'm the one who got assaulted. Uh, And so he becomes like the proverbial tea kettle, right? With the the steam coming out. like a ticking time bomb. With the steam coming out. And then we cut to a moment where he's in the alleyway unleashing his rage on a dumpster and on trash. This is the first time we can we see things affecting him. I thought he was. I thought in the, in the trailer he was killing somebody. Yeah, and like I, I thought he was like smashing someone's head in. And given what we know about this film about this character, it's not crazy to think that that's what he was thinking about. It's not crazy to think that he was thinking that maybe Hoyt just deserves a good stomp out. You know, um, when in the elevator of his apartment, Arthur meets neighbor and single mother Sophie and her daughter. When discussing how horrible the building is Sophie playfully puts her finger a finger gun to her head and pantomimes shooting herself a motion that will come back around later that night while baby bathing his mother you know as you do Arthur acts I why, don't know you do that Arthur acts why she is so adamant to get in contact with Thomas Wayne and he ain't want nothing to do with you mom what you doing and she goes well we worked for the Waynes for years and they, if they knew our current living conditions Thomas himself would be sick He's a good man. Arthur tells her not to worry because he's working on his stand-up. Um, this is actually one of the most, I think, I intentionally funny parts of the movie. It's very short. But he's like, Mom, you don't got to worry. I'm working on my stand-up. He goes, she goes, how the heck are you going to do that? Don't you have to be funny? And it cuts right It cuts right then in a classic comedy cut uh, joke moment. And I'm like, they're totally putting jokes in here. There's, there's totally jokes in here. Um, earlier... When they're at the clown office, that's when they ask um, the smaller, the uh, the vertically challenged, uh, height impaired, height impaired, vertically challenged um, actor, um, whether or not when he plays miniature golf, if they just call it golf. <laughs> so there's a lot of little jokes there. Todd uh, Phillips still has his comedic writing, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so 
Yeah, Arthur tells her not to worry, and then she goes to sleep. So everything is good. Arthur's now up, chilling late at night as you do. Nick and Knight's playing in the background. He's just he has his time to himself in his apartment, oh, and so he starts to play around with one of his gun. He starts to play around with that gun that Randall got him, and uh, accidentally fires his new handgun in the house while doing one of the wor- one of the weirdest, like. Um, is he supposed fantasies? to be the girl dancer? He's both. Like, he's 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 both. Ar- he's both Arthur female and Arthur male because he's playing a situation out in which he meets a girl while they're both dancing and then shoots a random man. That's the only way I can read the situation. He hey, shoots a man randomly. Hey, you're a pretty good dancer, thanks. But he's not, and shoots the but he's fucking not, wall. And you just shoot him. That was his fantasy. At least Travis Bickle had the sense to not load the gun while he was doing his, like, you know, montage. Ridiculous. And there's music playing in the background, and you can see that he's a child with I, this gun. I, yeah, when he shot the wall and jumps straight to the floor and just raises the volume, I saw myself as a kid being like that. Like, when you yeah. drop glass and you don't I want mean, anybody... He's like, it's a movie. I'm it's watching a, a movie. Turn it down. I'm watching a war movie. But you saw him... Like, he's he was very childlike in his dancing, very childlike in... in um. Uh, the he, he's like he didn't want to get caught with it. Like, like but this is our first scolded. time. This is our first time seeing regular author dance. No, I feel like this is our first time seeing comfortable in his in yeah. his yeah. Well, like like zone Arthur. Like this is an Arthur. He's not living for anybody else. Exactly. This, this is an Arthur that the world is not looking at. This is an Arthur that can dance like that because he can have fun. Because he's like, well, I can be me. And I got this gun. And I feel like <laughs> if no one else bothered him, like. This would be a totally normal guy that's, yeah, he's sad and depressed, maybe one or two friends, but if, if no one bothered him, I feel like this is a guy that can just skate through life just being sad but still not doing anything major. We got to hope that a lot of people are like that, right? We got to hope that a lot of people are I on, the, hope that on that I want to hope that nobody is like, the, like Arthur or Travis or, well, I mean, I'll take my, I'll take my Rupert's. I'll, I'll take so, a Rupert. And so he shoots in this moment, and it's played off as like a funny childlike thing. And immediately, the next thing they go into is the most unfunny and unchildlike thing ever, where you see a hooded Arthur stalking Sophie. First at her child's freaking school, which was the first time I was like, oh, that I audibly said in the theater, that's not cool. That's, like, what, that's basically what Jasmine said. She's like, oh, wait, what is he doing? That, oh, you shit. don't do that. Like, there's not even a romantic movie in the world that's going to let that fly. Like, that's it's you, just not you, cool. You followed her and her kid to her kid's school, and then you followed her all the way across town to the gotham central bank yep if we know our gotham like map the way we know our gotham map you literally went, you went from like downtown, the na- yeah. yeah you went from like the narrows all the way to like the other borough no, like, yeah you're uh, you're right 100 percent um but yeah why do you think he chose to back off when she went into the bank just curious i i have no 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 mm-hmm. uh theories but i wonder why why was that was that like they'd be too close it'd be too obvious it'd be maybe it'd be too weird yeah It'd be like, hey, what are you doing here of all places? Like, oh, you know, I was just in the How can you just say I'm in the neighborhood and, you know, yeah. like. So maybe that's what he was debating in his head and then he turns around and he's like, I don't got a good Also, I would like to out. believe that because of the, that one job scene that we see later, that I feel like uh, Arthur carries around that gun everywhere. Yes. And you don't know how a bank like that operates. You know, maybe they do have like a wand. It is the 80s, so maybe they do point. have an, a wand, so. Yeah, that's a good point. Um. Oh yeah. Yeah. She, so he leaves her alone at the bank, and then he goes to Pogo's, where they do stand up and open mic, and he starts to take notes on how to improve his own comedy. Um, and while he's diving into his whole like, what is it? Uh, people expect you to behave like you don't. 
Yeah. Um, while he's doing all that, there's a knock at the door. Boom, it's Sophie. And Sophie wants to know, were you stalking me all day today? Because I'm pretty sure you were. And he's like, yeah. And he tells an off-color joke about having a gun. And surprisingly, she seems to be super into him. And this is the first time I'm like, I'm not really sure what's going on here. But Zazie Beats is just kick-ass. So I'm guessing she's just the kind of person that's This is one of my favorite, not not the the hallway part, but in the comedy club. This is one of my favorite Arthur moments. Because, like, he's laughing off-beat. Yeah. He laughs during the setup of the joke, not yeah. the punchline. Yeah. He'll, the guy will say the setup, and he'll just do the laugh. And then and when he, everybody else is laughing, he's not. But the thing is, he has a genuine laugh on his face. This isn't like the affliction laugh. This yeah. isn't like a, I can't control he's laugh. He's enjoying he himself, a, but he's yeah, also ticking. You can see like yeah. the, the that shine in his eyes. Like He's looking around like, why isn't anybody laughing at this? This is gold. And he's like writing down, like keep eye contact. Inter- interact a sex with the joke's crowd. always funny. <laughs> I think it was one of the things that he wrote down. It was like sex jokes are always funny, which is like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, so we see that he's actually, you know, he is working on his stuff. Um, but she, he invites, seeing his, seeing his moment, he invites her to watch him perform at Pogo's. She's like, I'm totally down. Later on, while entertaining at a children's hospital, <laughs> Arthur's gun falls out of his pocket. Arthur is fired for this infraction, mostly because his coworker Randall says that Arthur bought the gun himself. How do you feel? How do you feel about? All that. I think that that was one of the most chilling moments in the film. I thought that was Joker. 100% black com- to the book. black comedy to the gills. <laughs> no, no. One, like, it was one hundred percent black comedy. So this is something like like you see in like a movie falling down, or like Michael Douglas. That's been your movie re- recommendation of the week, people. Yes. So there you go, falling down, Michael Douglas. Which is another movie that I feel like like this movie. You've seen if, falling down. Yes. Oh, if you've great seen movie. It, but I also feel like if you saw it when you were younger, you're like this guy's badass. When you see when you're older, you're like. This guy's kind of a prick. Yeah, no. Which is what I said again. Like, like that's, that's his why car when, on like the highway. That's why just... when people say like, "What?" Then I grew up and realized the Joker. It's like no, living a life of the Joker is living a life with no consequences or responsibility. And you need that to you, function. That's society, like the main yeah. thing of adulthood. That's like the only thing of adulthood. <laughs> yeah, responsibility responsibility yeah. and freaking accountability. So if you're doing that, then you're just you're screwing the rest of us <laughs> who have to live regular normal lives. We can't all just decide, ah, oh, fuck it, life's just. Kick me down way too often. I'm just not gonna follow any of the social norms, rules, or regulations. Which is basically also like office space in like a wholesome way, because yeah. office space like Ron Livingston didn't give a fuck anymore. No, like right. he completely gave up all responsibility and all accountability. But it didn't get no one killed. No. It didn't get no. no but eventually, else. but that he was... lining almost got them to steal shit. Yo, yeah, got them in trouble. <laughs> so you understand, like you you need accountability. You need to be. A... There's a reason why. There's a reason why we tell everyone to toe the line. We don't have to be strict. Not everyone needs to be the exact same measurement on the line. But if we pretend that line doesn't exist, people stand wherever the fuck they want. So we have to create some sort of line. We have to create some sort of rules. We'd still be flinging poop at each other from trees, you know? But people think because there's exceptions to rules, we don't need rules. No, that's not it. That's not how that works. It's like, well, yeah, but what about... Like, yeah, that, we'll, we'll take it on a case-by-case basis. Well, there's an exception need... to crossing the street, but you're still not going to cross on a green light when you see cars. Like, right. you know, exactly. yeah. that's just how it goes. But this was Joker to the bone, just the, the putting the gun in his in his lab coat and doing the shush and looking around. I, 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 honestly, I saw the Mark Hamill Joker in that moment. Like, it, it also broke my heart because he did seem incredibly animated working with those children. Those oh, are he was children. like putting his hands on up in the air. He was like dancing. Those are children whose futures are undetermined. Those are children whose day is undetermined. Those are children that have to look towards something like laughter, like comedy, um, something uplifting and inspiring to get through their day. They're very hard treatments and they're very um, long recovery processes. And 
I've been in situations, and I've actually even seen celebrities not comfortable in those situations because they are dealing with their own internal. Yeah, look, look at the boys in the A train. Yeah, we're you're dealing like... with your own internal thing. This is literally the saddest place you can be, but you can't be sad because you're there to bring happiness. Yep. I didn't see any of that hesitation with Arthur. He looked like he'd pick up any of those kids and start playing around with them. Like, oh, and Jasmine there was, was no Patch Adams. Like yeah. the second the, the scene hit, she's like, "Oh my God, Patch Adams!" I'm like, <laughs> there was no fear there. He was treating those kids like regular kids, and that's heartwarming. So when he drops that gun, and I realize what the implication is going to be, and I realize that this is going to get him in trouble, or he might accidentally shoot somebody. Which I then... thought that when he kicked the gun, it was gonna, like going to go off. Not only that, but he screams. <laughs> so he screams, and that. Gets at you because you to you this gun is a grenade. Like any tap, it could kill somebody. So he screams and then he goes to go pick it up and kicks it. And all, every second is just making it more awkward and Tell making me it, it more. Wasn't just like you get tense and tense and tense. So freaking awkward. Awkward. It's one of my favorite uh, parts of that. Um, but during a subway ride home, now fired. Arthur is witness to some drunk businessmen harassing a woman on the train. Not knowing whether or not to help, Arthur explodes into a fit of uncontrollable laughter and the men, thinking that he's mocking them, proceed to sing, uh, send in the clowns. And when he tries to give them one of the cards to, to explain his affliction, they proceed to beat him within an inch of his life. Now, I know we spoke off air about this, but I feel like that laughter that he did that got the attention of the people was because he didn't know whether or not it, like you wrote to help, yeah, and it's like that guilt of not being able to help just made it him was like, like a nervous. stress. It was like a stress laugh. Yeah, in it a was sense. like because I can do something now, but now I'm literally putting myself in it. And he ended up still doing it anyways. Right, right. Yeah, without his wanting. Yes, because he ends up laughing, which yeah, it call, it gets the attention of the men, um, and they think that he's making fun of him. So they start singing, sending the clowns, and they start to beat on him. Um, and it's you've seen this in the trailer, uh, where they're like, "What's so funny?" and his face is pained because he doesn't want to laugh. You see him crying, yeah. Because like, he's trying to tell these people, I'm not laughing at you. Stop. You're going to do something very horrible to me because you think I'm laughing at you. And I'm trying and my very to hardest card. to tell you that I'm not trying to beef with you in this moment. It's heartbreaking. It, it is heartbreaking. There is a, there is so much sympathy for the Joker that that's why in my mind I can't I can't look at it as a Joker movie. I have to put it... It has to stand on its own two right. feet as an original script. Because if not, it's too cool for school, right? If, 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 if not, then it's like, well, then I'm justifying this guy shooting a woman and a baby because he got beat up on a train because he had to help uh, somebody. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. it's hard, you know? It's like, what lines do we set for each other? How did you think this scene was going to play out? I didn't know he was going to kill them. Because I, th- I thought it was, it was going to kind of be like what happened with the sign. Me too. I thought they were just going to get off at the next stop and then that was it. Yeah. I didn't know that he was going to – yo, he – matter of fact, like it was matter of fact, boom, right to the head. Yep. Done. One shot. So, suddenly, Arthur manages to get his gun out and shoots two in self-defense but then chases after and executes the remaining man. Um, that last kill was – that's execution. Execution. That was yeah. execution. That's straight up murder. Fought, yeah. he, shot, he shot both of them basically kill shots, the first two. The second one, he shoots in the leg, chases after him in, in the train and then on the train station, literally shooting him point blank on the steps of the train. Um, and there was a look of conviction there. There was a look of just of justification. So he there. walked up with the gun already pointing, ready yeah. to do, like he knew he was doing this. Like he wasn't leaving no witnesses behind. And it also that, happening. and also that it should be done in a way. Like it, there was, like the look on his face was like, 
this is what you get. And that, I mean, you get what you fucking deserve. Yeah, you get what we'll, you we'll fucking get the, deserve. We'll get there in a bit, too. Um, completely taken aback by the night's events, Arthur runs full speed through the neighborhood and hides in his bathroom. Is this the best scene in the movie? Because I kind of think this, like, as far as sequence goes from build up to payoff, like, the build up of being, of bringing the gun to, of going into the hospital, bringing the gun and getting fired, to going onto the train and finding the three guys to being beat up to killing them, to running into the bathroom, to doing this dance. As far as that sequence goes, I think this is like the best payoff of a sequence this entire movie could have given me. Like, there was nothing more... Like, I teared. Me and Jasmine, we were just emotional. Like, we were just happy because it's like, wow, this is filmmaking. So I feel like... um, I feel like one of the things that makes this scene great is that, for the most part, we're trying to, at all points look between the lines of every bit of dialogue and look between the lines of basically everything, right? Because we're trying to get a hand on Arthur. We're trying to figure out who the hell Arthur is. And I feel like in this moment, without any words or anything, you kind of got the most of what you got from Arthur. Does that make any sense? Like you, no, you, you, you kind of got a yeah. better feel for him without words, literally in this interpretive dance that he goes on to do because... Um, he runs full speed in the neighborhood, eyes in the bathroom, yeah, and he does this uh, haunting interpretive dance that signals his transformation into a uh, wild. You know what it was? It was? He started getting more freer. Yes. He started. He started getting more freer as it goes on because you could you could see not only with the way he talks, he started being more of an extrovert, like his voice started like carrying more, but he actually started not taking shit when he went like well. We'll we'll get there with the mother, but you could just see like he just have he was once he killed those three guys. It's like he realized he had the power to be judge, jury, and executioner, and no one can stop him. Yeah, and he went on for weeks. It was like the the movie made it apparent that it was like a good few weeks that this was going on. Yeah, like he like the, they they couldn't find the killer. The killer was like at large, but people were really taking to the killers, uh, to the killer. Like people were really taking to this like. A guy in clown makeup is being a vigilante. Yeah, let's let's follow him. Well, nobody, absolutely nobody, likes to be considered a victim, right? Like that's a huge thing, right? Oh, that's why gaslighting's a thing, right? No one wants to be. No one wants to feel like they're a victim. And a lot of people have these revenge fantasies of taking taking action against those they deem have wronged them, because one of the things you first learn when you're when you're growing up is that life is unfair, right? And so. You're you're kind of shown to not take everything that happens to you personally. It's not the life is not happening to you; it's happening at you. It's not dis- distinctly doing these things to, to you. But in this film, it feels like life is at Arthur. You know, in this film, it feels like life is purposely trying to take Arthur down several pegs. And I feel like, um, I don't know. I feel like in doing so. They gave us more of a reason to allow him to do the things that he did. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like, like from its inspiration with, with Taxi Driver, for a sense, like the, the, the world wasn't doing anything to Travis. He was just slowly losing his mind because of the events of the Vietnam War. Yeah, like he he was fight. The thing about him was he was fighting for a country that when he came back to see the country he was fighting for, to see it in such shambles and ruins and drugs and child prostitution, he lost his mind. He's like, is this what I literally became a prisoner of war for? For this? Mm. So you can see that like, like that the gray areas for him and, and Rupert. For this, it's just they the movie just kept showing that he's getting his ass kicked 
every single scene, whether it's physically un- or metaphorically. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's unrelenting pain towards Arthur every single scene. Um, I think it did go brilliantly with the music, and let's talk about the score a little bit. Uh, it, it was the scored score by. Is- how are you going to give Joker a triumphant score like this? Like, I, besides the hauntingness, because you, you guys on, uh, on you the You want to try to pronounce that? Oh, I, I heard, um, uh, what's his face say it? Uh, Todd, Todd Phillips say it on the video. I think it's, uh, Yilder Gundenter. Gundenter. That, that, ladies and gentlemen, is a female composer. composer. Female composer. The female composer. Like, we, uh, I came over to this man's house the other day, and he was playing... <laughs> Arkham City, and I go and pick, like he's like cooking whatever. So I pick up the controller to play a little. He's like, "Oh, yo, you have to see how I was playing." And he puts on the Joker score, though the entire Joker yeah. the uh, soundtrack. And I didn't know it was the Joker soundtrack until I finally actually say, "Oh, what is this depressing music that you're listening to?" He's like, "It's the Joker soundtrack." Yeah. I'm like, "Jesus Christ!" So in in something that actually never really happens, she had began um, writing the music after reading the script and met with Todd Phillips who had a lot of strong ideas about how the score should sound. But she also did the score for Chernobyl. But the thing is... Oh, I have to start that show. So fans, tell us if we should start it. The thing is, she composed this this before the film was finished. And so several key parts of this film, uh, Todd Phillips was able to play the piece of music to Joaquin and then have him do what comes naturally, I guess, in that moment. And this bathroom moment is one of those moments. Initially, he was supposed to go into the bathroom, take off his mask, um, take off the paint, throw the, throw in or hide the gun, and then they were like, Arthur would never do any of those things. Yeah, no, not at all. They're like, he doesn't fear that. At that moment, he wasn't in fear at all. I mean, a, there's a little bit of, if you know, interpretive dances so you can interpret it, right? Uh, there's a little bit of like him keeping the world out. When he closes the door. There was also a very, like, I, I want to use the word triumphant again, but there was a real triumphant thing about, like, if, all right, there was the, 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 the shot in particular is when you're seeing Arthur through the, through the, the, the mirror. Okay. And the shot is from the back, and he just sticks his hands out just like this, yeah. as if he's just ba- bathing in all of the glory that he just did tonight. He's, like, basking in his pride. Yeah, he's doing like this weird like soft shoe thing and he had revealed that uh, late actor and performer Ray Bolger heavily influenced the Joker's quirky dance moves in the movie. There's a particular song called The Old Soft Shoe that he performed and I saw a video of it and there's an odd arrogance almost to his movement which I think he actually gave to well, Joker. Once you see the full transformation there is a huge arrogance to to the dancing so to, to get inspiration here is like beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so... There, it's this in, weird interpretive dance that almost feels like he's either putting on or taking off a garment of clothing. You know, like he's I, something I is like, happening. I feel like it's the latter. I feel like off. he's. I feel like he's removing the shell that he doesn't need anymore. He's taking off a layer, and so once the layer is completely taken off, there is almost a ta-da moment. That was it. It's the, it's the you know? ta-da moment. I, and I, I was, this is and who I am now. Yeah. That moment where you're over his shoulder looking at himself in the mirror with the makeup disheveled and his clothes all erect and the yeah, score blood coming from his nose. It's one of the coolest images ever because it's imperfect. We're going to see a, a Joker later on that's completely polished. Oh, but I, I just thing. love the, the look of the camera looking up so it has like that up position from like the the bottom of his chin, and, and it, it wasn't necessarily a look of happiness. It was a look of this is me. Look, here I am. This is 
it, it wasn't like I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't really want to use this analogy, but in a sense, it was like coming out the closet in a sense. Like yeah. he was coming out for the world to see like, this is who I want to be on. This is my identity. I'm identifying as a freaking psychopath. <laughs> you're freaking just going psychopath, to accept it. Yeah, and like I like what I loved about the most of of like Arthur, of Arthur Flex like of the wardrobe design was he always had little bits of makeup under his chin. Yeah, and as this movie progresses, he gets closer and closer to the full attire. Of it's like you could see the, the Joker, Joker was always under him the whole time. It's yeah, like or at least symbolic. or at least a part of him that he kept with him, you know, at all points. You know, like this, just like that paint, he doesn't need to get rid of it. Like why? And there's a lot of that 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 motion that I just did this. There's a lot yeah. of that. There's a lot of that in this film of just shrugging and being like, so what? <laughs> There's an author gets to a point of doing a lot of that stuff. Oh, no. Once, once he is on the show, once Murray he, Franklin show, once he's like, don't you care Murray. about those people you killed? And he's like, and he does that little shrug. Like, I don't, yeah, he does that shoulder shrug. I don't really know. Like, it's like, what do you think, Murray? Murray. I uh, love that. The murders unintentionally start a protest movement against Gotham's rich with protesters down in clown masks. Uh, in the unidentified killer's image. Which you can really see like Todd Phillips like commentary towards cancel culture and clickbait here because in in an earlier interview in the movie that you get to see Thomas Wayne on the TV doing like a political speech, he does refer to the criminals in the underbelly of Gotham as clowns. And they took that as something like to heart, like we're all clowns. And so you see like the signs, like the we're all clown signs and People, people saying like, "Oh, you want to call us clowns? Well, this is how we're gonna be." Like, so you could see that clickbait cancel culture type, like, like um, message that Todd Phillips is trying to say. It's I think it's hilarious that you could take one thing that Thomas Wayne said and it's like, "All right, well, I guess we're all clowns," which is also basically well, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to another part of that one later because I do want to get when we get to yeah. the whole Murray Franklin show. Um, yeah, Thomas Wayne calls the unknown vigilante a clown and says that his father was a clown. Like you said, they're going to take that and run with it. Um, this amuses Arthur as he's seemingly gotten away with his murders. Like he's sitting there, he's smoking his cigarette. He laughs. His mother's like, what's so funny? He's like, eh, nothing. You know? Uh, he seemingly got, oh, wait. We're missing something huge, which is on his way, on his walk back from his murders, he walks straight into Sophie's apartment. And just and makes la- out And them. lays a kiss on her. Like, if this was the ending of a romantic comedy. And she comedy. just literally just, like, wraps her arm. She's like, yeah, let me just close the door and get that for you. Yeah, and that's it. This is, this, we're led to believe that this was Arthur's first big display of love to Sophie. And I guess in her accepting this gesture that she's she's down with the clown. You know, she's down with the clown. It's like, well, why is your nose bloody? And why do you have, like, you know, blood all over you? Why do you smell like gunpowder? Ah, eh, you know what? I'm just going to keep keep kissing you. It's okay. Yeah. Like, What? Like, excuse me, like we have loads of questions that we need to get through here, but nope, I'm just going to walk into your apartment and start making out with you. Yep, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's. Yeah, it gets a little crazy. But, um, at his latest, oh, yeah, at his latest appointment, Arthur learns that funding cuts are shuttering the social services program leaving him without any access to his medication, a real-world problem for those who are mentally ill. 100%, no, 100% a real-world problem. Um, he he claims that the lady just doesn't listen. That was also kind of like a bit of a heartbreaking moment where he's just like, you ask me the same questions all the time. Like, you don't listen. You never listen. Um, he claims confidently that like, people are starting to notice his existence after wondering for years if he ever did exist. Um, 
How yeah, you feel? It, it gives him like a breath of fresh air. It's like a new light for him. It's like he's born again. Once yeah. the the vigilante killings started a whole political movement for people, and people started wearing the clown mask, it's like he, even though he couldn't say it, he felt proud to be like somebody people look up to, even if they don't know he's the one they're looking up to. Yeah, and it's it's great because it it like I said, it starts giving Arthur this new confidence that he didn't have for the whole first half of the movie. Because I feel like once the killing happens, now you're in like the second act. Now this is all the dealing with Arthur going through the consequences of the killing as well as the finding out about his own life. Like this whole second act is just – I find the second act to be the strongest. I think that it starts to come down like an avalanche pretty quickly, the events, what he's done, um, what happens to him as a result, and um, his transformation I think really starts to speed up uh, post that. No, cops are the worst. Cops are really the worst. Like, they just let this man go with no problem. Like, they just don't... They questioned him, what, like, once, twice? Yeah. Like, they, like I, I thought they were just doing their job terribly. Even I'd be like, no, yeah, that's that's definitely the killer. That's That works for a clown renting agency, per pad a gun, that's definitely the killer. Just look at him. But nope, worst cops in the world. Yeah, they keep, they keep messing with that, man. But uh, Sophie attends... Arthur's stand-up routine at Pogo's, which goes poorly because he laughs uncontrollably and has difficulty delivering his jokes. Um, this was heartbreaking because up until this point, there had been several mentions of him trying to get into comedy, of him working on his comedic stylings, um, of him taking notes. And we don't know even what jokes he has because he can't get a joke out. Talk to me a little bit about this performance that you saw at Pogo's with him not being able to perform. I I know we talk about a lot about like the the most uh, like this is this was a heartbreaking scene this was a crushing scene this was a, a cringy and creepy scene but this right here was the most heartbreaking because I I felt like this was the realest of what you can get with this movie like as far as like I I have stage fright I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna front like I don't have stage fright like well once I once I can get in there in the motion and like I'm fine but initially yeah I have stage fright myself so to have stage fright. Mixed with the nervousness of bringing a girl to your show. Then throw in the uncontrollable laughing cork. It's like, man, it, it, I don't know. It, it felt like watching someone that was on the, the spectrum trying to stand up and they feel like they're failing. So it just it shocks their confidence. That's actually a really good parallel to say that because that's exactly how I felt. It, right? It felt I like someone on the spectrum. Do, I, that I was, wanted him to do well because I knew him. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't want them to trash him because I knew him. At this point, I've known him for an hour and change, and it, it hurt. Just he and he, you know what the thing was—the joke he picked. He really felt like that was the best joke to start off with. And they and also put the camera in a very close and uncomfortable distance away from him while he's laughing, and you can almost feel the heat from the lights, and you know you can feel the claustrophobia of not being able to get this joke out because you're being suffocated by the laughter as well. And you know what the worst part about the whole thing was? I just wanted to hear the joke. Yeah. I just wanted to hear the joke. Yeah. I didn't know if it was going to be good or bad, but I kind of just wanted to hear the joke. And the fact that I didn't get a chance to hear the joke that they jumped straight into the smile song was it's like, damn, I would have liked to see the joke. But I, I get that they were just, you know, they were pushing it, like, you know, got to pad the runtime and all that. But it does, um, it does feel weird. It's like, I didn't know whether to laugh, but I didn't know, I didn't know how to feel. That was just the thing. It's like when when you see someone in in that light, it's like you just don't know how to feel in a sense. Yeah. 
Uh, oh, I almost jumped over that. I, and it, I mean, it was cool to see Sophie there. Right? It was cool to see her standing by her man. Getting ride or die. That's a true ride or die. No matter how bad she was doing the jokes, she was just sitting there smiling. So I was like, wow, she really, she really about that life. Um, the next thing we see after this, this whole stand-up thing is Arthur helping his mom into bed when he intercepts a letter written by his mother to local billionaire and mayoral candidate Thomas Wayne, alleging that he is Thomas's illegitimate son. Angry and confused, Arthur berates his mother for hiding the truth. He goes to Wayne Manor for answers, where he meets Thomas's son, Bruce, who in most cases grows up to be Batman. He tries to make Bruce laugh with a trick with magic tricks, but is interrupted by Thomas's butler, Alfred Pennyworth. When Arthur claims to be the son of Thomas, Alfred tells him his mother was both crazy and delusional. He kicks Arthur off the property, but not before Arthur attempts to strangle him through the gate in anger. How'd you feel about our first uh, little Dark Knight, Gotham? I, I know when we were watching it at, in the movie theater, um, you know, Bruce sees him like while he's playing his little jungle gym. And when he goes to leave the jungle gym, he goes down a pole. And somebody behind me popped. And I didn't even get it at the time. I was like, oh, the bat pole. No, that was, yeah. <laughs> no, people, yeah. But wow, somebody popped for me too with that one. Yeah, someone behind me like was like, oh. And I was like, what? what? And I was like. He went down the, the bat, bat pole. pole. I was like, "That's that's so funny and so cute." Well, the thing was, was like, <laughs> like the, a little kid. Little the theater kid. broke out into just a, a like a, a unison applause the second you saw the mansion. Yeah, like you didn't you didn't need to see it say Wayne Manor. You didn't need to see the Wayne on the mailbox. The second they saw the mansion, bam, it started with a thunderous applause. Yeah, but I I, I like the the way he was walking with the <laughs> with the clown nose. Where he had the like the biggest smile on his face. Like, I think it's like I think this is like the first time you get to see an unmakeuped Arthur Fleck smile. Like an act like a like well no 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 when he was uh saw the guy in the taxi with the cl- with the clown mask. That's right, you got to see another smile there. I, I missed that portion of it. When is when does that go on? When they're when they're when her when him and Sophie are walking around and she's When like, him and Sophie are walking around together and um they pass by post pogos? Uh, no, this was uh right after po- it was during Smile. It was during the the Smile sequence. Like he's on stage and it has that song is playing. And okay, then it go- yes. Then it goes to them walking down the street and he passes by a newsstand or whatever, and it has the magazine with that clown mask. And that's when Arthur does that like roar face, and then he like standing on the street with Zazzy Beats, and then he just looks and a car is just driving by and some guy's just wearing a clown mask in the car, and he just smiles. I was like, damn, I think this is the first time we get to see an actual genuine smile. And then, for our context, he meet who who he believes is his little brother, and yes. we get to see him like act, be the way he was in the child hospital, like just carefree and happy, and showing that he loves to be happy go lucky. How did you feel about um, the initial drop of the whole, you know, Arthur Fleck being the brother, um, possibly being the brother, um, and then you know, what that means for the the. Joker Batman relationship. This, this is what I told Jasmine when um I said if they if they're truly going with the route that this is going to be that Arthur Fleck is a half brother to Bruce Wayne, I think it makes more sense of why they both left each other alive in all of their encounters. Forget all the you complete me, forget all the I can't kill it's my one rule thing. To me, the most sense that it makes is 
Batman can't kill Joker because that's his brother, and Joker can't kill Batman because that's his little brother. Like I, I get that. Like to I me, also that's feel like, like find it to be cool. And I also feel like you know, there's a weird narrative there that you can have where post uh, the Wayne's dying, Joker becomes a weird, like uncle esque person where he's Bat family. He's spending his time keeping his little brother engaged. You guys know what I'm saying? He's looking after Batman. That would be a By cool keeping like, him universe. Busy. Like imagine like a like an Earth where Batman doesn't become Batman because Joker is his older brother, so he yeah. just tries and keeps him at bay to never yeah become that trainee. Like I'll help you go get you through your grief. Don't worry, my parents died too. And all but it that. could also be a weird twisted sense of like, oh, you're sad. You just need somebody and to he, keep you busy. And he trains him to keep you God. busy. You know, and then it becomes a situation where Batman does exist and Joker is only, has only done everything that you've seen him do horribly because he has to keep his little brother active. He has to keep him on his toes. He has to keep him ready. So uh, the crowd definitely popped when he, when the kid was like, he's like, what's your name? Bruce. Crowd popped for that. Um, As they always do. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about Ar- uh, Alfred? It's too fat. Very too, American. For, for a young it seems very American like. I don't know if the actor too, is no, American. No, 100% but. too American like. And two, for the age that Alfred should be, he's way too fat for me. He should yeah. be getting fat later. Not he shouldn't be looking like in his 40s. I yet. also have to find out what the relation what the yeah, what the relation is between Alfred and Thomas. Like how old is Alfred supposed to be in compared to Thomas? Well, if we're going to go by uh the, the TV show Pennyworth, yeah. they're basically like me and your age difference. Okay. Like um uh, Thomas Wayne in Pennyworth. Thomas Wayne was already an established businessman. I don't think I don't. I don't know if Wayne Enterprises was fully so up from and the running. comics. The Waynes have been from the get. Like every version of the Waynes have been rich and tycoons. Okay, no, no, the Waynes are rich tycoons. Yeah. It's just like they're they're a small. They're they're building their business. So like when he meets P- Alfred Pennyworth, Alfred becomes like his bodyguard. He's yeah. like, here's my card. I'm a I'm a private bodyguard. If you ever need anybody. And they're basically like if like twenty four and twenty eight, basically. Yeah. So like, there's that kind of difference. How did you feel when Alfred told Arthur that his mother was delusional? Did you feel that that was more of a PR thing? You know, like where it's like, we don't believe any allegations. That I, don't out, I, I don't know. I don't. If it was anybody else, one hundred percent right. I don't want to sit here and think that Alfred would lie like that. I felt like that was maybe the story they were trying to tell us. You know. Like, while my Alfred would never lie like that, I'm obviously watching a universe in which Gotham looks just like New York. I don't know. He gave him that, and like, so... that like he didn't give him a worried look when he said, when he admitted who he was, and yeah. he's like, you're her son. He had that, like, oh, you're her son type. Yeah. Like, like, I, like, I, like, my heart breaks for you type yeah. sigh. It wasn't like a, I'm a scared of you. It's like, damn, if only we could have, like, done something to help you type thing. Yeah. So I don't feel like. That Alfred would alive, but like you said, this is a universe where Alfred could very well be lying. He and he would be. It would serve him best to be lying on the side of the Waynes. Well, I mean, you see some grown ass man with his fingers inside your Master Bruce's mouth. What are you gonna Master do, Master Bruce? Just like uh, uh, Lex Luthor, Lex put the fingers in people's mouths. Be the whole thing. I don't even want to read it then. Um. <laughs> so where 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 did all that? Um. After the strangulation, it's the whole part with the... Yes, there's a part with the ambulance. So he goes home and, and he sees an ambulance. his mother had a heart attack. Yeah, he's told after a police visit investigating Arthur's potential involvement in the train murders, Penny became hysterical and had a stroke, leading to her being hospitalized. 
Arthur is questioned at the hospital by those same cops, but asks them for a little bit of respect, and that his only concern is that it is his mother at the moment. In the hospital, Sophie comforts Arthur, and when she leaves to get a coffee, Arthur sees a clip of his failing stand-up routine being played for laughs as a segment on the Murray Franklin show. This visibly disturbs Arthur as he hears his hero ridicule him for trying to live his dream, which that's ultimately what it is, and that is heartbreaking. Um, I say that a lot on this episode. At this home, is a heartbreaking movie. Like yeah. at, at its core, this truly is a heartbreaking movie because you're just – take out the context of Joker and put it in this context for a second. You're watching someone with autism just go deeper and deeper insane while he's alone in the world. Going through his own little delusions of grandeur. Because no one wants to help him. Like it's it sucks. It truly sucks to just like it's an an original take. It's a beautifully done original take. But I can't sit here and say like after watching it as a masterpiece that I can watch it as an enjoyable film. Yes. Like I, I can I can enjoy the film, but it's not a film that I can just throw on on a Tuesday afternoon and just be like, Hey, I'm just gonna Watch Todd Phillips' Joker and just feel bad about my life, you know? Like, it's not that easy. But, yeah, these like these cops, man. These cops have no... I, I thought it was hilarious because this was, like, the first time where Arthur was standing up for himself. Like, actually, truly as Arthur. Not as Joker, not, like, killing anybody, but, like, actually saying, Hey, listen, forget you, you know? I got, I got my own problems. Because when before, you, when he's getting, like, his ass chewed out by his old boss... You see that like painful smile in his face of him holding back all of his words. But here you have him talking back and almost cursing out police officers, FBI, uh, no, uh, detectives at that. So seeing his like confidence just slowly grow as like the last like 45, 30 minutes go, it's, it's just great. Yeah, and I thought he was putting on like a mousy voice. That's kind of like Joaquin Phoenix's actual voice. No, that is Joaquin Phoenix's actual voice. He He's has, just like, this a kind of a voice, timid yeah. man. Um, and by the time you get closer to places, especially when we get to this whole him yelling at Thomas Wayne, that's nothing mousy about that. There's nothing timid about that. There's nothing. Oh, no, he sounded. He it, it wasn't even anger. It was just like disappointment. Like you're my dad, and you have me living in the bro- You're Thomas Wayne. You're supposed to be my father, and I'm living in the Narrows. What is this? What is this? So we get to yeah, because Penny's Penny's dealing with some stuff. Um, at home, Arthur sees a news report showing the public protesting and using the clown, the clown vigilante's image as a symbol, wearing masks and disrupting the peace. The next target is said to be a public event in which Thomas Wayne is in attendance. Arthur sees this as an opportunity and sneaks into the building, confronting Thomas in the bathroom. Thomas seems disgusted by the allegation that Arthur is his son and tells him that Penny is mentally unstable and not his biological mother. Visibly shaken by the reveal that he was adopted, Arthur immediately believes Thomas to be lying and accosts him for being what he calls rude before breaking out into another fit of uncontrollable laughter. Thomas takes this as as being mocked and connects the dots, realizing that this is the man who came to his house unannounced and punches him in the face. Afterwards, Arthur clears out and clears out and then enters his fridge. Uh, you want to talk about that at all? <laughs> The fridge You're the, or the confirmation. That's, just, that's confirmation. the scene that sold you. Yeah. You're the one that saw that TV spot and said, like, yeah, I'm ready, for, I'm ready for this movie. Oh, I was actually telling Jasmine that in theaters. I was like, yo, this is the scene that George showed me that he's like, yo, I, I want to see this movie now. And I'm not going to lie. The way they did it in the movie was freaking great. You just see the, the, the 
it's just the whole background is just like bathed in this blue except when he like opens the fridge door and you see like this orange glow but in the background you hear like like um voice my voicemails that are going by that aren't like good news voicemails yeah these are like bad news voicemails he's just like not caring he's like you know i'm just gonna go go into the fridge for a couple of hours you know no one bother me but as far as like the the whole thomas wayne scene i kind of like that scene i kind of liked seeing i don't know see being able to see a joker being punched by a wayne just feels right as a comic book fan in a sense it, it's just it just feels good but I'm also upset because this whole movie, I kept thinking this was Chris Cooper. And I kept having to remind myself this isn't Chris Cooper, which kept getting me even more upset because I would have liked Chris Cooper as uh, Thomas Wayne. Yeah. And well, it was also going to be Alec Baldwin was going to be Thomas Wayne. Oh, thank God been, they chose this guy. I think it would have been too, many, too much of a Trump parallel. It would try to do it that way. And that's another thing. One of the things that early, one of the earliest things or earliest rumors that came out about this film was this brother reveal. When I found out about it, I was sick. I was like, they better not do this. This is corny. Oh, you found uh, out about the... Yes. And because they had already been talking about it. They were like, oh, yeah, so-and-so. And um, they were saying that Thomas Wayne was going to be a Trump-like person. And everything uh, from the outside looking in looked to be that Thomas and everybody else covered up the actual truth that this child is actually a Wayne. And so I thought that that's how we were going to get the sympathy for uh, Joker and then move forward but you know what they they ended up sticking with the whole mythos of Joker not having a a real name and identity by just making him adopted and on his adoption papers saying name unknown yeah I think he was abandoned it said on his thing which is like that's a whole other thing that's that's just that's just craziness it's sad but it's it's also like it's a brilliant way to keep that like mysterious uh, like origin story of the Joker going what do you think the fridge stuff is for uh, I don't think we can accurately try and, like, understand the ravings of lunatics. I think we'll be sitting here all day trying to understand what he, what Arthur was thinking about when he just took everything out of his fridge and just sat in there and closed it. But maybe he was just, like, he just needed to think, and everything around him was just not helping him think. Maybe he just needed to know what it feels like to be, like, trapped Literally trapped in a situation of death. Because, like, yeah, like I, I can't really accurately, like, get into the, his thought process for this fridge scene. It's just so bizarre. Guy, like, well, I mean, if you're already here, people, and you haven't seen the movie, I don't know why you're here. This is full spoiler territory. But for those that are here, like, that have seen it, like, email us. Let us know what you think about this fridge scene. Because, like, I just think it was just done improvisationally. I think Joaquin yeah. just wanted to just go into a fridge. <laughs> Probably because but it was a brilliant scene though. Totally brilliant. And I think like I don't know, was I think the voicemail was being being asked. No, no, cuz he was laying down when he was asked to be onto the Franklin Murray show. I just don't remember what voicemail this was, but this wasn't no good voicemail. It, I think it was the cops looking for him. I think it was too. I'm pretty sure it was the cops. And he was like, I don't want to do any of this. So I'm just going to go in the fridge. <laughs> um Later, Arthur is invited to make a guest appearance on Franklin's show, Murray Franklin, due to the unexpected popularity of his routine clips. He agrees, and they set the date. Arthur visits Arkham State Hospital and steals Penny's case file. He discovers that he 
was adopted after being abandoned as a baby and that Penny was a neglectful mother who allowed her boyfriend to physically abuse him as a child, causing serious head trauma. So much so, I think one of the ones is like, like, we found your son handcuffed to a radiator. Yes. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, was the radiator on? That was my, that was my actual question to myself the second that, that, that they had that dialogue was we found your son handcuffed to the radiator. First thing I thought was, what was it on? I mean, I know it makes no difference. It still shouldn't be a kid handcuffed to a radiator, but no, it makes a difference if it's on. Yeah. Like, you have metal handcuffs on a metal radiator. Like, I'm surprised his hands weren't, like, you know, charted off. Like, holy crap. This kid was put through the ringer. Which more, which goes into the that conversation of this is going to be a, a scary movie to have in this society because, you know, anybody can come from... A- Anybody has the has that unlucky draw of being abused as a kid, either sexually or physically in some sort of way. We all go through some sort of abuse, mm-hmm. whether it's for a little bit or a long time. And I think we're all going to end up going through trauma no matter how good of a people, so person we, you are. Can, can we excuse me for being beaten up by my parents as a kid for shooting up a high school? No. Right. So then why are we even having this conversation about the movie? If we know – if as people, if as society we know right from wrong, why should we be worried about what this video is going to do? We should be taking the necessary step to make sure that people don't watch this movie – that the people that watch this movie don't get to that point in the first place. We're so worried about this movie being a how-to oh, guide. Oh, I agree. We're, yes. we're not worried no, you're about – you're 100% right. The, the idea is like is like – um. Clean up the gasoline before the match hits the fire. You know, right. don't, don't been, get mad yes. when the fire. You've been letting the gasoline leak all over the floor, and now you're gonna blame the match for why the house is on fire. But there's gasoline. Like, like, you know, like that's clean. a very, yeah, that's actually very poignant when it comes to mental health because that's what this movie is trying to do. Is trying to you know put a mirror against society and and show us how we deal with the the more marginalized members of our society, like the ones that can't actively express what's going on with them. Some of the people with mental health can't actively. Uh, express what's going on with them, don't know what's going on with them, don't know how to fix it. When he's talking to the clerk, the clerk's like, some people just end up here because they're better here than out there. And that's the truth. That was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. If You've seen One Flew Over the Yeah, right? with Jack Nicholson. Ev- everybody there was voluntary. Yeah. That whole ensemble cast, except for Jack Nicholson, involuntarily admitted their self. Now, I, one of this this film leads to many, many, many interpretations. But I think that one of the things that you can interpret, if we're just, if this is a grab bag of interpretations, just be, let's just yeah. be smart men for a second. Yeah, if this is a grab bag of things, could it be said that once he looked at this folder, and given the conversation he had with the with the with the file clerk, could have he decided then that he would do something that would make him stay there? Hmm. That There's is, something I'm just throwing out there. Well, it's him being like, well, if like, no, how do a person I, end up I here? Don't, I don't know because I feel like his his um miming of the suicide that he wanted to do was his original decision. Like he was going to kill himself on live air. I felt like just once he got to the Murray Franklin show and he started being made fun of, the second he got, he was waiting on backstage to be called. That's when he changed his mind because you see that anger in his face with the makeup and the smoking of the cigarette. I felt like he really did want to kill himself. Yeah. 
I think it, I think yeah, there there's as equal of that because as all right as full disclosure as somebody that is actually not self but like legally diagnosed as bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. that shit is a light switch, my friend. Yeah, it is literally a light switch. So I feel that he did have that concrete decision that I'm going to kill myself on the Murray Franklin show. But once he got brought onto the Murray Franklin show and saw that he was still being made fun of, he's like, you know what? No, 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 yeah, no. Yeah. Huh, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm going to kill you. I love me. You're going down. So like a bipolar disorder can switch. It, man, it, it sucks. If you've ever been like out in like where it's like 90 degrees out, but you're still freezing cold on the inside, that's what bipolar disorder feels like. It's just... Your chemical balance is all off, and it sucks. But I did like the the whole um. Well, I was saying it in my head. I didn't say it to Jasmine because she wouldn't have got understand the whole thing. But in my head, when he was reading that the the dossier on his mom, I was basically or adoptive mom. I was basically thinking, damn, all it does take is one bad day. And it oh, was, yeah. and it wasn't the it wasn't the killing on the train that was that one bad day. It was the finding out that your life is literally a lie. Well, that's the thing, right? So, um. He ends up going home after this, and what's what's more tragic is as we're discovering these things about Arthur's past, he breaks out into another fit of uncontrollable laughter. He starts to laugh downstairs. Uh, did he try like hiding it too? Like yeah, because he, he didn't want to laugh. It was just all no. I mean, like, I felt like he he hit it better than any other part previously. In the but movie. I also like, think that was the most. That's when he was mostly crying too. Um, and I feel like. The joke in it is how much time and how much energy he's spent of his own life caring for his mother, and then Which realizing probably made him physically ill as right. well. Well, they say she says like you have to eat. You're like stop feeding me. You have to. Eat. You haven't eaten. You don't. But you're he can't. Like, he doesn't have enough money to make food that they both can eat, and that's so why his body been, has that malnourished look. Yeah, and so he's been killing himself to make sure that she doesn't have to ever work, be without. But when looking back. She never had that same love for him. She never had that same attention to detail, that protective nature. You even None see like the, the the deadpan look in the younger. How Penny do you Flex feel from... about that whole flashback and then him inserting himself in that oh, in God, that flashback, that... watching his mother basically excuse the abuse that went that on? That shit hurt because I I in my head I'm imagining that him standing there seeing that flashback is because he's reading the transcript, especially back in like what was it supposed to be like the. If this is the 80s, then that means that that should be, like, the early 70s to late 60s that this psychiatric, like, evaluation that would be going down. Yeah. So all that transcript is going to be, like, you know, recorded yeah. by, like, script. Yeah. So he's probably reading it and visualizing what, how what that the conversation whole, went down as because I've been that down. way, too. Yeah. So when that scene yeah, – that, so probably... that, that was my line, honestly. Yeah. As far as, like – Cringe, not cringy, but as far as like existentially uncomfortable nihilistic bullshit of all the bullshit you can throw at me, I thought the stand-up scene was bad. That shit. Mm-hmm. I actually think this is probably this is probably my least favorite part of the movie because, um, again, I think that in giving him a brain injury, we make him one in a million. Yeah, you you were all we were very vocal issue, about that. Yeah, we make the issue one in a million. It's not somebody who has the run of the mill bipolar disorder or the run of the mill PTSD. I think or they the were afraid to really do a real. 
Yeah, and we spoke about it right like, now. Like Joaquin Phoenix was trying his best not to be diagnosable. No, that that, but yeah. like, like with that not wanting to be diagnosable, they still took bits and pieces of, of every yeah, real single yeah. real life ail- ailment and put it into one. You have the Tourette's, you have the bipolar, you have the depression, you have the the paranoid schizophrenia, yeah. the borderline the borderline personality disorder. You have it all without having a concrete. This is what you're diagnosed with. You never see what Arthur. The, this is what I was personally looking for that I couldn't find. I wanted to know the pills Arthur was taking. Okay, and I didn't because I would personally purpose. be able to tell you straight up what he what pill he would be taking for. But as someone that that is on psychiatric medication for his own, you know, insecurities and bipolar whatever disorders and crap, he would be taking a lot of antipsychotics, antidepressants, and mood stabilizers, and that shit is no joke. He would. He'd be too docile. And you I personally, as someone that has been on pills or has had the pill prescription but has not taken them because he doesn't feel good taking them, you can tell he's not taking his medication. He's just asking for pills because he's just asking for the lady to say what's wrong. Yeah. What she's not asking he she he does not want to hear we already have you on this and this and that. He wants to hear, well, what is wrong that this stuff isn't working and what can we put you on that will work? He's not he's not docile. He's very like out of it. If he was if he wasn't like crazy, you could tell he was on his pills, but he wasn't on his pills. But I do I don't know, I like this scene. It's hard to it's really hard to pinpoint a scene I don't like in this movie. That's that was my biggest issue with wanting to do this podcast cuz I didn't want to like, you know, stay in the echo chamber forever. I wanted to be able to know what people's issues were with the movie and see if I could see it myself. But as far as that goes, I don't know. I just felt like every scene just – the ebb and flow of it was just great for me. Yeah. I think we're on uh, – la, la, la. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, we got to the best part. So, yeah, so uh, he's heartbroken. He's downtrodden, and he does this really depressing walk back home to his apartment. Um, I think it was but raining it, and everything. It's yeah. pouring, and he has his hooded coat on, but he does not have the hoodie on. He is letting those raindrops fall on his head as the song talks about. And um, we see him return home after a walk in the pouring rain and he enters Sophie's apartment, touching all of her belongings as he passes by. Frightened, Sophie can be heard screaming and coming out of her daughter's room and pleads with him to leave, saying, your name is Arthur, isn't it? Oh, Jasmine literally said, oh my fucking God. Not just her. Yeah. Everybody in the theater. Like, I don't know if they planned it, if they saw the movie beforehand and they just wanted to be cool, but literally everybody in the theater was like, oh my fucking God. And I was, me, I personally laughed. No one was laughing in the theater. Everyone was, was just taken aback. But me, I was, I was legit the only person laughing. And I leaned over to Jasmine and I said, I'm laughing and no one understands why. And it's yeah. because King of Comedy already totally prepared me for did. this role. Totally yeah. Did. Yeah. So you were ready for that. Um, <laughs> but King of Comedy, I felt like never really. I felt like this movie kind of lied in a way King of Comedy didn't. Is that, is that no, fair? no, you're, you're not wrong. Because what happened was is uh, in King of Comedy, when you see the Jerry Langford scenes in the, in the restaurant, it's him talking and pleading with, with uh, Rumpert. But when you go to Robert De Niro, he's literally in his basement, in staring in the mirror, in his suit. So it's like it's not lying to you; it's letting you know this is the this is the fantasy, this is the reality. 
here, they truly let you believe for the whole movie that Arthur Fleck had a love interest. Only come mm-hmm. to find out, my personal theory, he never even talked to her on the elevator. She never looked at him and smiled. She never said, eh, shitty elevator. She never did any of that. She, that, that I mean, that That's be. my theory, that they, that they never, that he imagined her leaning over and, smi- and smiling to him and all that. Because there was just, this is just too, oh my god. It, I thought she got him coffee. I thought she really went and got him coffee. She was like sitting next to him for during his mother in the hospital, but nope. Nope, nope, nope. My man imagined it all. Oh my god. He was like f- touching his pill- her pillow. He's like smelling it and everything. Like, dude, it was no joke. And then, me, my, I know the staircase scene. I like, I love the stair scene. Yeah. But as far as dance, as far as like solo dances for himself, personal enjoyment dance, I love the bathroom dyeing his hair scene. I love him in the tidy white. He's just like you know, like pumping his chest and all that, just like moving to the music in his head. Oh, magic, just magic. I, I, it's he is charismatic, you know, um, but he's incredibly creepy when he needs to be. And this scene here, um definitely put a lot of the fans on their toes because again i was a little bit spoiled because i already saw king of comedy but if you hadn't this drop you know this is as big as fight club this is as big as um six cents this this reveal i feel like um really could have shook you to your core because it's in that moment you realize you can't trust arthur but i think me and you were going in already knowing we couldn't trust him no i, I, I think that that changes you know what was the thing was once that reveal happened that he made all that entire romantic encounter up in his head I realized no girl in her right mind that's a single mother is going to allow a man dressed as a clown with a bloody nose into her dark apartment at God knows what time it is with her kids sleeping in the next room. Not to mention John Wayne Gacy was a thing in the 80s. He totally was. And he was was wearing that kind of makeup. Yeah. So there was no way that that was happening. So once that reveal happened, it was like, oh, yes, I'm cracking up. Everybody is is distraught. And I'm just like, you people don't watch movies then. Right. Um, I also heard that, like, it's it's like a thing in the clown community that you're not supposed to have pointed edges of your makeup. Yeah, no. That is what is frightful for your children. Yeah, no. Uh, all Joker's uh, makeup is pointed as hell. No, yeah, it's not supposed to have, like, that thing. It's supposed to be, like, like over, an edge. Like the, yeah. yeah. You're not supposed to have any edges. Uh, yeah, she tells him to leave, and we find out that the previous encounters were Arthur's decisions. Um, and then he puts a gun to his head in a very, very creepy callback to their first, if not imaginary, their first interaction or whatever. I um, mean, I think it, it could was be. imaginary because she looked at him like she was fucking scared. Yeah, scared. Yeah, and the thing is, we had trusted her that if she was digging him, that there must be some good to him. She's not digging him. She doesn't even know him. So what is Arthur? And I feel like... Yo, imagine he, he did actually stalk her stalk. I think he really did stalk her. I think, I think, I think, I think he really think did stalk her stalk. But that's, that mean, that works better if they did meet in the elevator. Yeah, because then it's just more sicker that he's just stalking just someone. One inst- just from one instance, not only does he stalk her, but he's able to materialize an entire relationship Travis Bickle did end up stalk... Did stalk... Sybil Shepherd, though, before he actually went into that place and presumed to know her. He also her. stalked uh, Jodie Foster. So you know, it's like, I, I drive around here all day. I look into your eyes, and you know, like I, I know you don't like being here. I know you don't like working here. I was like, I'm just gonna entirely presume that I know you after staring at you from the window for like two days. 
God, I gotta watch Taxi Driver again. Oh, so good. Uh, but yeah, he's out of there. Destroy and realizing that he is neither a Fleck or a Wayne, Arthur goes to the hospital and kills his mother. <laughs> Effectively severing all emotional ties to the world and relieving himself of the burden of watching over her. That's what that symbolized to me, at least. Oh, yeah. And then he just looks out the window. Yep. He just goes and starts looking out the window. Anything you want to say about Penny Fleck's death? Or Penny Fleck as a character? Somebody in theaters literally screamed, good, bitch, deserved it. I know a lot of people were really into her dying. Like, they were all like, I don't feel like she, I mean, maybe it's because of the abuse, but, like, she didn't seem in her head. Not at all. But, I mean. She couldn't even bathe herself. She was definitely not in her head. Like, Uh, you hear a gunshot and you think it's part of the TV. Would you, you, stop it. Just stop it. But, like, I couldn't feel bad for her death. And that, this is what I think we were talking about off the air was that every death in this movie, though death is a a very irrational absolute, it wasn't unjustified in a sense. Like which you can think, make which a I case. Think is kind of, which I think is kind of cowardly. Right? Because you can't have it both ways, can you? No, it it, it you can't have have like an irrational action be justified. It's irrational. But it's still in a sense it's a weird paradox is yeah, these guys got shot up on a train, but they were beating the crap out of some guy and about to seemingly sexually harass a woman. So do we really feel bad for the deaths? No. Yeah, yeah, this is his mother, and you you shouldn't kill this poor woman while she's in a hospital bed, but she had him chained to a radiator. Should we feel bad for her death? These are the questions that this movie is posing that I truly understand why it's being afraid. And I'm watching a lot of, I don't want to say PC, YouTube channels, but I'm watching a lot of progressive YouTubers talk about Joker. But when, in, in progressive, in the sense of yeah, they 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 don't virtue signal. They're not into like the like that mainstream virtue signaling, but they do have morals. Yeah, they do think diversity is right and racism is wrong and stuff like that. So I am I am listening to a lot of like progressive YouTubers that aren't addressing the 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 um, the problem that like the society is having with Joker the right way. It's like they're brushing it off the same way the far right is brushing it off. And it's it's weird because it's like, as someone who who is, like, progressive but not, like, PC, I can see why this movie can be problematic. Yeah. 100%. Because like, he, that everyone is justified in their deaths. Yeah, and, like you were saying. And it's, that's the problem. This movie is too sympathetic to its main killer that you can see that all you need to do is have a, have a traumatic home life and a terrible upbringing and you can be the joker and people will love you it's like no that's like you say that's the coward's way out right uh but yeah i guess i mean i guess they were just trying to play at least a little bit safe right um he looks optimistically out the window and later practices the walk small talk and apparent suicide attempt he is looking to perform at the murray franklin show okay a very chilling scene I gave I no one understood why and I had to explain it to Jasmine but I actually gave this scene a big clap. Like him like when you see the the Murray Franklin show on TV and Joker walks out of the freaking um the the curtains and he's like sitting down and he's talking and everything. I gave the that scene a clap and I leaned over to Jasmine and I said no one understands that this is king of comedy. 
That's yeah. literally Rupert Pumpkin in his basement with the whole setup with like Joan, uh, Cindy Lauper on one side and, yeah. like, and Jerry Langford. Like this is literally the beginning of the movie. Like uh, Rupert's in- true introduction of who he is as a person. Like this was great. It was there was so many movie moments that I felt like only I was understanding. Yeah. So I was giving it the claps when no one else was giving it the claps. Though, you know, you don't oh, want to give anybody the, the homages. Clap. Yeah. All those like beautiful subtle homages. Like when he's like dancing and stuff like that and doing very taxi driver esque stuff. I'm over here having fun because it's like I get this. I get I feel like I'm the only one that's that's getting to have fun and everybody is just like missing out on the joke. It's like you ever you ever hear a joke and you feel like no one else laughs at you but you feel more better about it that no one else laughed, that you're the only one that gets that joke? That's how I felt. I felt like cool for a second. Yeah, I, and that's why I want uh, our fans to feel that way. That's why I want them to watch that that film there. Um, it's a very chilling scene because they have they geniusly allow the audio from the television to act as if it's actually happening in real life. For some reason, everything is timed perfectly so that when um, the first when he's pantomiming killing himself and it doesn't go right, he can't get the gun out fast enough. The crowd groans. They go, uh. Yes, yes, that was great. And he's like, oh, he I'm trying. And he's like interacting with the crowd. And yeah. then when he does do it, they clap. And not only does he pantomime shooting himself, he pantomimes his body writhing in the aftermath of being dead, which I thought was a bit more of a, a morbid touch to the whole thing. And, and then that, that shot, like when he puts, every time he puts his head back, it's just magic to me. I not, don't know. And that's the thing, you know. Uh, he knows he's going on the Murray Franklin show. He knows Murray Franklin was messing with him. And so now with a target for all of his aggression, Arthur completes his physical transformation of dyeing his hair green and painting his face white. One of my favorite. As he puts on his makeup and outfit, he is visited by his former co-workers, Gary and Randall. Which I told you off air, he was killing anybody who was at that door and he didn't care because he grabbed the scissors and he immediately put those scissors in his back pocket. So he was, whoever was at that door, he was murdering and it didn't matter who it was going to be. Which you mentioned that you probably thought it was he thought it was the cops, which makes sense too. But I just I could not believe I I knew it like that they put the camera they like emphasized the camera on him on his hand grabbing the scissors and putting it in the back pocket like it was you knew it was gonna be used. Yeah, um, and the, you know they're playing that's life. That's uh, life. And he's dancing around all crazily, and he's dyeing his hair. Uh, we're definitely feeling the transformation. We're feeling this level of confidence we hadn't seen in Arthur before. And so when he gets knocked on the door, literally in my eyes, it could have been anyone. Somebody was going to get those scissors because he's just not in the mood. He has he has something he's going to do tonight. Yeah, he has me- the only thing is they messed with his mojo, baby. Yeah. He like he was in his it. zone. And like you ever, you ever like listen to your music and someone keeps trying to talk to you while you're just trying to listen to this one damn song and you got to keep restarting the song? Yeah, I'm going to take out some sheer scissors too. But no, my what was this? What was this fucking fat guy? Randall, that was his name. Randall, freaking yeah. Gets the scissors to the neck and the eye, which I felt like the scissors to the eye was kind of like a homage to like Heath Ledger Joker putting the pencil through the eye. There is, there is a bunch of homages to other Jokers in here, and I think we'll we'll get into that at the end when we'll see how many we can find. But um, yeah, man, uh. Arthur murders Randall, but leaves Gary unharmed for treating Arthur well in the past. He stabs him multiple times. Uh, not Randall. He stabs who multiple times? He stabs... Oh, yeah, Randall. He's like stabs Randall. He, yeah, Gary's the one he doesn't stab. He stabs Randall multiple times, 
uh, in the face and in the eye with the scissors and then just smashes his head until he's dead against the wall and his face is covered in blood. And then we have this nice little funny moment where, um, well, it's not nice, but this is a funny moment where he lets Gary go away because Gary has always been nice to him. Um, but then he kind of like does a boo to scare Gary and Gary runs to the door, but he can't open it because he is too small. Very Joker-esque. Yes, and then he kisses Gary on the forehead and lets him lets him go, uh, saying that Gary's the only one that's ever been nice to him. Um, Rock and Roll Part Two plays. This is the moment we've all been looking for. Uh, I told Jasmine on our walk to the on our, on our walk inside the theater. I said if this if the if the dancing on the stairs from the trailer isn't in the movie, then it's a fail to me. And it was, and it was in its all crowned and glorious self. And God damn it, is this not the fucking just coolest balls to the wall scene ever like damn it's just so awesome to just watch Joaquin Phoenix in the full Joker glory just dance his life away because like I said this man works his ass to the grindstone flicking the cigarette doing a little two-step kicking his legs jumping into puddles man Joaquin please at least get the nom for best actor like like if I could get a Joker to win a best acting Oscar <laughs> Jesus Christ. The Joker winning a Best Acting Oscar. It's like, guys, do we not know comic books? No, I don't think we do, but it's okay. Because that's life. That's what they say. Right? Uh, What you like more, Rock and Roll Part 2 or That's Life? Well, I think we all, we were getting on the cast uh, what songs we were going to choose for that scene. Oh, and yeah, this man, man chooses my song. Yeah, I, I wasn't really a big fan of Rock and Roll Part 2 only because I've always seen it as this football anthem that drunk people say doesn't really have any words in it. Uh, so if I could pick a song that he's dancing to on that staircase, I would have picked Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads. I think that would have been very... Might have been a little bit on the nose, but clown noses are awfully big. So. I'd have picked The Seeker by The Who or laugh, Laughing by The Guess Who. But I think Laughing by The Guess Who was in this movie already. I'm not sure. Uh, I know. I didn't hear it. Then, uh, yeah, I'd pick Laughing by the Guess Who. But I love this scene. I love the song. <laughs> yes, but, um, yeah, Rock and Roll Party 2 starts playing in the background as Arthur uh, is fully made up in the Joker attire and celebrates his recent transformation with a dance down the same stairs he lamented going up every day. And that's something that we had spoken about where I said yeah. that I think that the theme of the stairs is that Arthur every day had to walk up those stairs whether or not he liked it or not because it was the only way to go home, which meant uh, long, tired, um, energy-zapping walks. And when I think of long and tired and energy-zapping, I think of how much energy it takes to be a good human being in the world, to have morals and values, to not take everything personally, to not want to enact violence or malice amongst your fellow human beings. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of effort. And I feel like to be sane, was Arthur walking up those stairs every day and he's chosen for the first time probably ever to dance down the stairs because it's just easier and more fun that way. Um, what's cool is that we have this this triumphant moment of him dancing that you've seen in the trailers. But when push comes to shove, he's dancing to no music. We see it, he gets we see him get snapped out of it when the two cops that have been asking about him this entire time just literally standing at the top of the stairs, just watching him dance, and, the, and I love it because I think like the music like either lower. I don't think it, the the song fully shuts off. Yeah. I think it just like it starts fading away, and you just see Arthur at the bottom of the stairs just dancing to no music. It's great. 
Um, yeah, so he's he's out there and about there. But even though two detectives were trying to chase after him, they chase him onto a train filled with clown protesters. One of the t- detectives accidentally kills a protester and incites a riot while Arthur escapes into the chaos. Um, that felt like almost every other thing I've ever seen. Have you ever been there? When he shoots the little girl by accident, who's wearing the mask that V was wearing, and then and they then, all start and then they running. all jump, jump him. That was very. That was. I just thought it was scary watching like Joker with his suit and makeup put on a clown mask, flow flowing into a background full of clown masks. I felt like that was like ripped from a comic book, but I know it's probably not. But I feel like it should be. Let's make our own because that I don't know that scene just felt like iconic. Like those are, that those are gonna be like the scenes that like stand out. Just Joker, full-on makeup transformation with a mask on, just into a sea of other Joker masks. That's brilliant. And he was quite happy to get away. I can't believe he got away. But he did. Incited a riot and made it all the way to the Franklin Murray show, which is also like how King Comedy was. (laughs) He ends up making it to the show anyways. how, How does everybody end up sticking with their appointments? I could barely keep up with my dentist appointments. Yeah, but he was yeah, he was all there and they were all when he gets there, they're like, Oh, why do you have the clown the the exact clown makeup that's out there in the streets? Uh which was I mean, Mark Marinax didn't like to take it off, which he was justified in saying all that. I don't know if uh people were killing people in anonymous masks. If I showed up as Guy Fawkes, I think they'd have an issue. Yeah. But they let him go on anyway. Um before the show goes live, Arthur requests that Murray introduce him as Joker. And initially, that was played up as like just a little bit of a quirk. But Which it is, is what I was saying about earlier when Thomas Wayne called the vigilante clowns and all the follower clowns. Yeah. This is with Joker being called the Joker by Murray and deciding to keep that as a, as a stage name. Or a killer name, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, yeah, there's something sinister. He He brought it up. In a way of like, like yeah, ain't that what you called me? Like that was a little bit like, of a like a no, calling yeah, you out kind of. Yeah, moment. I was like, yeah, that's what you called me on the TV. You called me a joke. But Murray doesn't sell it. He's just like, yeah, sure, fine, guy. We'll do whatever you. Yeah, because uh, I called you that, and that's your name. Sure, why not? Yeah, and they they do it. And so what makes it worse is that while he's backstage getting ready to come out, they play his failed stand up again, so he can hear himself and the audience laughing at him. Uh, and he's literally telling me, like the doctor that's like his on that's on his guest appearance, like you know this guy is gonna need to see you a few times. This guy, this guy can can benefit from some psychiatric help. It's like, yo, how are you? This guy is literally dressed as a clown of not just a clown, but the clown that's like the vigilante shooting people in your city, and you're gonna like literally make fun of this guy while he's backstage. You get what you fucking deserve, Murray. You get what you deserve. Um. Arthur comes out to a warm reception, and he's all, he's the most confident we've ever seen him. He's doing uh, cowboy twirls, and he's hes making out with doctors, all kinds of stuff. He is enigmatic, um, and he sits there, and even when they first start to talk to him, he doesn't talk right away. He literally sits there and goes, I've been thinking about this moment my entire life, um, which is a little bit weird. The way the rest but of this no, shot. How he feels with the surrealness of it. It's like, wow, of all the ways I pictured this moment. I never pictured it in the moment that I was going to shoot your fucking braids out. The way um, the way the whole thing plays out and the way the whole thing is shot, 
is very visceral because I feel like one of the camera angles is placed almost directly in the audience. You're watching this show yeah. unfold. And you're not watching it through the stylized cameras. It's a very untamed, unmessed with shot. Which, when the violence starts to portray itself, makes it that much more dramatic. Because it's like, it shows you that there's no, there's no flair to violence. It's just matter of fact. Especially death. There's no flair to yeah. death. It just happens. You kill somebody, they're just dead. There's no music. There's no slow motion of the of the of the hammer going back and the bullet going through. It just happens. And so when it gets to those violent moments in this, I feel like it's played where we, the camera's literally seconds away from either guy's face. So you're put in the middle of this antagonistic environment, and the music starts to drum up. So you already know something's gonna happen. And then when it happens, it happens pretty matter of fact. Um, and basically. Uh, he admits that he killed the man on the train and he starts to rant about how society abandoned and mocked him. Um, and he's like, and Murray goes, oh, so you're crazy? That's it? That's not, that's your excuse? Which I like because that's what I tell people. Like, oh, so that's it? Like, life got you down so you killed a bunch of people? That's not good enough. And Murray does that and I felt like that was a directive from the director to have it put out there in case anyone had any kind of doubt as to whether or not yeah, but you know how people excuse. are with their cherry picking skills. Oh yeah, I love cherries. They'll just say, "I, I never saw that scene." I told, I went to the bathroom during that scene. No one called me out. And I love cherries too. I love cherries. Um, <laughs> I wrote this down as part of trivia. I thought you'd like it. Joaquin Phoenix. Oh yeah, I was reading this. I was his dying. favorite part of filming was sassing off Robin De Niro's character, Murray Franklin. He stated it was one of my favorites, saying Murray. Yeah, no, that's that was my. I was dying. He's like Murray. And Todd loved that too. There's a little. I got. I saw this as a. This was something that I saw was written as a um something negative. And I was when I first saw it, when I first heard it, I was like, absolutely not. But after looking by, there might be flares of this. There's a little bit of inf- effeminate actions. When uh, Fleck is joking, there's a little bit of Nate just couldn't carry tune. There's a little bit of maybe that's Hollywood. Maybe that's what that is. A little bit of pageantry. Maybe I don't know what it is, but there like is I, definitely I, a, a flair for the. Oh, I, I totally dig the flair. Yeah, I totally dig the flair because I feel like the like the the Joker from the Dark Knight Returns animated movie had that same kind of flair. So like I'm I'm digging the whole sassy pants Joker. Any Joker that's saying Murray is is definitely a Joker I want to watch over and over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Murray thinking Arthur's playing around, asks him more and more probing questions about his reasoning. When Murray tells Arthur that his view of the world is just self pity, Arthur tells him a knock knock joke, uh, and kills Murray. Was it uh? Knock, knock, who's there? What do you get when you cross a man alone? A, men- a alone? mentally unstable loner and a, with a, with a society that treats him like crap. Yeah. You, I'll tell you what you get. You get what you fucking deserve. And he just point blank shoots, shoots Murray right in right the fu- Right, right, like temple. Like yeah, right in his temple. Um, Everyone bugs out. He just sits there. Because he's standing like, he's standing like not vertical to you. Like, no, yeah, yeah, no, because you're horizontal. So he's standing like vertical to you. So like if you're sitting on this side and he's just leaning this way, yeah, you're you're just capping him straight in the side of his temple, and then he just double tap, triple taps, he shoots him two more times. Yes, um, and all of his behavior right after this is kind of weird because he shoots him and then he sits down like if the rest of the interview is gonna continue, and then he like like a child almost realizes, oh, 
Well, I guess it's not going to continue now. I'll just shoot him again. Shoots him again. Then does like a little bit of a dance as if he was just going to break into a dance and then decides against it. Yeah, like, like this is not the time. Like, the camera's like on the yeah. side and you see like all the empty chairs and it's like Yeah, he starts to kind of like do like a performance and then he's like, screw it. And then you get the Ledger-esque moment of him grabbing the camera and telling uh, people, you know, I can't remember exactly what he told them, but he got caught. No, it, he literally was about to, like, it was in the middle of, like, the first word. He He's was like, I say, remember. And then they got caught. Dun, 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 yeah. Um, he gets arrested, and riots break out all across Gotham. One of the rioters pursues the Wayne family into an alley and kills Thomas and Martha Wayne, reiterating Arthur's sentiment that they got what they deserved. A group of riders in an ambulance crash into the police car carrying Arthur. That was kind of a sick moment where they're playing that music and um, he, he there's something oh, about uh, the disheveled there's about. something about the disheveled paint look that I didn't think would be so effective. Well, you Ledger, said that Ledger you, and yeah, him. you said that about Ledger that Ledger yeah. was scarier because the paint like the the makeup looks so like I just put it on my fingers right in the car while I'm about to go do this yeah. bank robbery. And like, even this when he's in the thing and and the paint is not as perfect, it's horrifying. Those shades of blue and red across his face. And um, the cop is like, you sick son of a bitch. Like, you're laughing back here or whatever. Don't you see? People died because of you. There was a riot because of you. And he's like, yeah, isn't it beautiful? Great. <laughs> Great. Um, and I'm like, there's a lot going on there. And right when he says that, a car crashes into him. It's an ambulance. And his followers, his other Joker, Joker lights, come out and remove him from the ambulance and place him on top of a cop car. I kept um, begging Jasmine. I just want them to call him boss. Yeah. I just want them to say, don't worry, boss. We got you. And so he looks around. He surveys his um, his damage. He surveys his army. He surveys his people, his followers. He his surveys, henchmen, his he future surveys henchmen. He surveys his new environment. He surveys this new world that he's the most comfortable living in. And he just sees everybody and he starts to smile and he realizes that in the car crash he broke his nose and so there's blood pouring from his nose and he uses his two fingers on each hand to use that blood to make a blood smile in a moment that i thought was going to be too on the nose and corny for me to applaud but was just too damn cool in actual right? practice yeah for right. me to for me to try to like have an issue with no that, and it, it was the whole like the score was just so triumphant with the it two it's like you hear that kind of shit and when, when a hero is standing up so it's yeah. it's it's great. Yeah, the music swells in the moment that he puts the smile on his face. Everybody claps. It's one of the most raucous. Everybody in the, there, in the, the yeah, everybody was going crazy in the theater too. I guess this was our, our version of it being a little bit closer. Well, I mean, to think of it like this: know. Travis Bickle was was a hero too. That's no, 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 no. I mean, no, I mean, like like narratively in in the the world that he was in. Remember after he uh, with the chick after he like saves Jodie Foster and everything, and he like. He like spends time in the hospital. He ends up being crowned as like the hero in the newspaper, and then just goes back to his regular life of being a taxi driver. So like in a sense, he did something wrong. He went on a murderous rampage because he was going crazy, but in the eyes of that public, he was still a hero. So this world is just sick. It's a sick world we're living in, filled with sick people, and the only normal people are the ones that we look at as autistic. Like they're the only. The people on the spectrum are the only normal people in this world because they're not over here looking up to heroes. I mean, they're not. They're they're looking up to heroes. They're not looking up to the villains. At least they got the real heroes. It's like, who do you like? I like Superman. All right, don't be like him who likes the Joker. Yeah, and that's the thing that you have this moment. This is a very much martyr moment, a a championing moment. Like you said, it was a hero shot. 
of this man who just killed people who got in his way, quote unquote. And he does have followers and all this stuff. And um, he does his little dance for the cops <laughs> on top of the cop car. And um, the camera pulls away and it fades to black. When it comes back, we see that Arthur is in prison at Arkham State Hospital and he's laughing to himself. His psychiatrist asks him to tell her the joke and he replies that she would not understand. Then he runs down the hall being chased by orderlies, leaving a trail of bloody footprints behind him, leading us to believe that he might have killed that uh, psychiatrist. But also, That's live. But also, with him laughing, she asks him what is so funny. He says, she says, I'm oh, sorry, he says you wouldn't get the joke. And then he flashes back to um, the Wayne's dead and Bruce there. Some people believe that the joke is that he created Batman. My, my thing that he was... created his own enemy. That this is going to be a thing that's going to span huh. decades. And and how ironic that this happened to Thomas, that he died in this. How ironic that now Bruce and him are going to be our family. For, he's the only family that they have now. Uh, how ironic all of this is all just one big joke. But the other interpretation that I didn't know a lot of people had that Todd Phillips wanted you to have is that the joke is that he that the entire movie could have all been in his head. And he was re- recalling these events. He's creating this crazy movie in his mind while talking to the psychiatrist. And as he's laughing over his third act, where he is Trump triumphed and trumpeted up as a as a man of the people, it's just so funny to him, the world going into that much chaos, that her asking him what's so funny breaks him of the movie. And we get back into the thing. And so people go, then when, when did he leave Arkham Asylum? Uh, earlier they said that he was at Arkham Asylum. Maybe he never left. Maybe That could be true. He could have never left. Yeah. Um, which interpretation of the film do you subscribe to? Well, I mean, I've seen and loved American Psycho, so I can go with the Todd Phillips ambiguous ending of this is all in his head, actually. You know, yeah. like, open to interpretation. But I do like the whole idea of him thinking, wait, wait, maybe I just created Batman. But then you can't give Joker that kind of like omnipresent power. There's no way Joker would know that in 10 years he creates the Cape Crusader. There was no way he would be able to. He was whatever. Well, we he, don't know how much time has passed since then. Well, that he's been in, yeah. in there? Yeah. True. What if he is looking back and thinking about the time that he. Yeah. that Thomas Wayne and Martha Wayne died, and that's why. There's a, like there's a whole bunch of uh, cool and weird. I think I like I like to keep it up to whoever wants to interpret it the most. Me, I'm just happy that he got one final kill, Joker style. Like I'm legit happy that he got a Joker style killing. So that's about as much as I can do. But I do if it's the if it's the purpose of the director, I can't not go with what the director writer is trying to tell us. It's his movie. It's his story. So if the director's telling me this is my ending, that's your ending, sir. I believe you. Yeah. If this was all in his head, Mr. Phillips, then this was all in his head, Mr. Phillips. That's okay with me. Because that's life. But that's why I'm like, I don't think... That's why I don't think that uh, the ambiguousness is as strong as the King of Comedy or Taxi Driver. And so I take a couple points off. But besides that, I think that this is a master class in um, depression, in mental health, in... The weird ways our minds create enemies out of the things that we don't understand. Um, the weird ways our mind tries to create logic out of being put in unfair predicaments, you know. Uh, and that's where that that's life thing comes from is that, you know, people to, to author to uh, adopt that's life. is to understand that life is a 
random set of events. It's a random gamble at any given time, uh, whether or not you're going to be happy or whether or not you're going to be sad. And I feel like he's telling him that um, by taking on the that's life persona, he is getting into the madness of the randomness of it all. He is choosing to be I've part of the randomness of it all. I've made $800 a week. I've driven. I've worked in construction. I've, I've had a pretty awesome time doing things. And right now, the only thing that I'm doing is trying to fix my mental health. Why? Because Arthur, that's life. And that's what they say. That's it. That's all people say. It's life. You just gotta just... That's life. My mom used to tell me that you have to bend with the curve. No matter what happens in life, you have to bend with the curve. Because the the minute you go left when life goes right, you're being thrown off the track and you'll never get back on. You gotta go with the flow, baby. That's all it is, baby. Just go with the flow. The flow, the flow, the flow. Um... Yeah, so let's talk about these other jokers. So um, I think the dancing, you have a little bit of, of the dancing and the nice suits. Well, the, the suit looks very Romero. Oh, 100%, yeah. The suit looks very Romero. Um, Plus the makeup in and a And the sense. makeup over the hair. <laughs> very Romero. We have um, some Heath Ledger in the cop car scene of him, you know, with his head against the uh, window in the cop car. Creating chaos in the city. Uh, Ace in the hole. Um, I don't know if they have any Leto. Well, Leto, no. I have a Nicholson. All the dancing. Yeah, I was saying all the da- all the prince. <laughs> all the prince dancing. All the prince Nicholson. dancing and stuff like that. Um, the, the squirting flower. What do you think of Jared Leto? What, what did Jared Leto add to this? I know, and again, I know that he that Joaquin said <laughs> this... that he didn't look for anybody, or he didn't look to any past interpretations. But these things kind of meld in. This is this is me literally reaching for the top shelf. The Jared Leto Joker would be the love in, having a love interest. Wow! No, I got you even better. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Uh, super. I'm gonna go for Mr. Fantastic levels of reach, but I'm gonna make it artistic. Leto uh, was the physique, and so the most Leto part is when he's in the pajama pants with no shirt when he kills Randall. That's all right. That's Leto. Yeah. That's Leto. That's the shirtless. Arkham Asylum pants, Madman. Uh, there. Who are we missing? We said Ledger. Ledger. As far as live action, only, yeah. only five. This is the fifth live action. Yeah. But Plus man, I can't count uh, that kid from uh, Gotham. He was no, pretty good. I never do that. But and <laughs> I, I love this film. Um, I'm gonna love it more the more that I see it. I, it's just really hard for me to put it on the top of the mountain when I know. What was up there? I can't replace King of Comedy for it because oh, no, 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 you know one, no one is legit asking you. I, I won't sit here right. and ask you to replace like your love and appreciation for King of Comedy for Joker because at the end of the day, it's you know it. Joker is an inspiration of those movies. Yeah. So those originals still exist and they were still done first. So sometimes I ask myself, is it the question of whether they were done first or whether they were done better? Yes. And in the case of King of Comedy, it's both. King of Comedy was done first, and it was done better. Because you know why? It, King of Comedy has that one scene in, in the Hamptons, just that one scene in the Hamptons, that made me legit skin crawl. Other than that, I could actually see myself enjoying this movie, just like a normal Sunday afternoon, make some you know eggs and toast and throw on King of Comedy and just enjoy it. This is not a movie that I can throw on to enjoy. 
I, some people are gonna wonder about how, that statement there, like how enjoyable do you think this do you think this film is? Are you having a grand time when you're shooting people in the face? Why? Like, <laughs> it, it's hard because I can watch this movie and just and and, and eat up the the aesthetics of it. Yeah, just the pure camera angles, the movements, the acting. But this, like I said, just to pay attention and to watch, this is not a movie that I can just throw on all the time. Yeah, I mean, it, it's also gonna show people sides of themselves in society that they had never thought of. I don't blame this movie for being the first two people, even though there was a, a, a real first. Um, I want people to have an interpretation just like the ending of this film. You know, it's all up to you. It's all up to what you think about it. If you're listening to this, you're only listening for our sides of this. But obviously, you guys have your own opinions. So that's awesome. And um, yeah, go out there. See the movie. If you're listening this far, you've already seen the movie. So I guess uh, keep doing what you're doing. The last thing I want to say on it is I think that the real this movie lives and dies by Joaquin Phoenix's performance and also by that laugh. I think that those levels of, of being uncomfortable, those anxiousness moments are what really makes this film because I think that the the real thing that's scary in the world is real human beings and the awkward positions we put ourselves in and how we chose, choose and chose uh, to, I guess, um, adapt to the things that happen to us and adapt. You know, we're all human no matter what, how much money we're making or what race we are and we're constantly finding ways to divide and, and, and it's it's donors that fall through the cracks like Arthur Fleck who then feel completely ignored by society and then feel like they have to do something about it. Um, I hope that, I hope this movie is seen by more eyes. I hope it does become a cautionary tale. Josh Brolin seemed to be incredibly moved by it, which is kind of cool. They know. That's, that's kind of nice to know. Yeah, he put out a whole post talking about how important the film is. Um, the, what it also did was it also invites the worst kind of fandom because now I have people saying this is absolutely the greatest movie ever made and I have people saying this is absolutely the most boring interpretation of the Joker ever made because it can't be halfway of anything. It always has to be the absolute greatest movie ever or the worst movie ever. Um, and I hope our fans at home are not like that. I hope you guys are listening to this and maybe you're agreeing, maybe you're not. I confidence that CBC does not breed echo chambers. I'd like to believe so. I, you have, you have, you have more faith in humanity than I do. So, I have my, my trust in people, and we trust you, people, to see this movie and just know that it's a movie. Yes, and that—that's all you have to do. Um, but I'm happy that we talked about it. I'm happy we talked about to, it. Yeah, seriously. Um, and I can't wait to watch it again. Honestly, yeah, it's one of those movies that I keep thinking about. It stays in, it stays in your head. Some of those movies, some yeah, of those moments are so hypnotic. You want to understand everything. See how I couldn't even I couldn't even put into words what that refrigerator scene meant to me. Yeah, I would have to watch it three, four more times just to understand that one two second scene. Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird watching a man practice his suicide. It's weird watching a man. Um, you know, obsess over somebody that doesn't even know they exist. It's very, very weird. Um, I don't think that they pigeonhole anybody. I don't think that this is a, a, Not at all. a movie at anybody. I don't think anyone should feel triggered like they're talking about me in this. Uh, we just need to be better to each other. Listen, uh, if you think this movie is like attacking you, then you seriously need to please just find some sort of help. We, we Everybody just needs a little bit of help. I need some help. Georgia needs some help. Everybody needs a little bit of help. This is not a how-to guide, and that is my personal disclaimer for this movie. Right. I feel like, um, yeah, I think I think it, it, it it's not a how-to guide. It's not a love letter to anarchists or terrorists. 
Um, rightfully so. I think that you don't know where the author flex are among you. So just be kind, be nice, be hospitable. Um, just realize what is it? No one ever thinks of the other guy. Just think of the other guy. That's it. Just think of the other guy. But don't think of the other guy's podcast. Just think about our podcast. Ours only. Um, and thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Episode number 96. We're moving on oh to God. episode we are, We're a month away. It's a coming, people. So make sure you're there for that landmark moment. Episode 100 of the Major Issues Podcast. But the only way to do that is to make sure you're subscribed to the Major Issues Podcast, which exists wherever podcasts are found. That's Podbean, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, the Apple Podcast app. Google Podcast, Google Play, or whatever they're calling it now. We're on YouTube. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on TuneFind. We're literally wherever podcasts are found. And if you can't go through the hassle of downloading a new podcast app, go ahead and go to Google and write in Major Issues Podcast, and we'll be the first ones to pop right up because we are the newest thing and the latest, uh, the newest thing talking about the latest and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. Um, but if you guys want to reach us, you guys want to send us feedback about some of the things that we've talked about. We love emails. Question, comments, and concerns, you send your emails to comicbookclick at gmail.com or reach us at facebook.com slash comicbookclick, Instagram at comicbookclick, or use the hashtag comicbookclick to talk about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. All those links will be in our show notes. You can find every single one of them as well as our shop at Tee Public, where we make all our own merchandise. And this week, Dan, 30% off every shirt. Promo codes. Promo, Promo code codes, people. It's 30% off every piece of merchandise in our shop. Do you know how to math? <laughs> Do you know how to math? Every every piece of merchandise is, is going to be discounted for one week only to celebrate the premiere of The Joker. Use the promo code COMICJOKER30 for 30% off. That's COMICJOKER30 for 30% off at tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click. And again, that link is also inside of the show notes and if you don't want to do any of those things please rate and review us on itunes not only is it free and low effort but it helps us become better podcasters by realizing what you guys like what you don't how to change and how to do better i know in the future we become the the best thing to come to comic books and comic book media i've been to the future but i can't tell you guys how to do it so jump on the bandwagon now or else we'll mess up the whole timeline and no one gets to be you know president oop did i say that loud we know the joke but we just can't tell you because you wouldn't get it yet. You wouldn't get it yet. And I think that's that's extremely important. Um, but I'm glad that I got to do this podcast. I'm glad I got to do it with you. Dan Always, the bro. Man. I love doing podcasts with you, man. It's great. But my name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I am Dan the Comic Book Man. And this has been our Joker 2019 recap and review. And remember, whether or not you're dancing like nobody's watching, whether you're making up fake girlfriends, whether uh, you're laughing uncontrollably at comedy clubs or whether you think that you actually slept with Thomas Wayne. Whether or not you get what you deserve. Whether or not you get what you deserve, remember that we're all clowns. And you, yes you, are worthy. <laughs>